Welcome everyone. We are here today with a special guest with Rabbi Pesach Kron. Unfortunately, to discuss a little bit of the tragedy, what has happened to Klal Yisrael and that has befallen to all from Eden and to everyone, Bachlal, that feels for the tragedy that has happened in Eretz Yisrael to the three Bachrim, Ayal Yifrach, Gilad Shar, and Naftali Frankel. As always, I would like to start with a great appreciation to Hirav Nissen for making radio, uh, the JRIT Radio dot com possible to Aaron to make that possible as well for all the great work that you do and to all the facilitate hosts that are hosting us which is Yeshiva World the Lakewood Scoop and having it on the phone lines by FNW we thank you all for hosting it and most importantly as always to this most amazing station to jritradio.com which has made it possible that we can take your questions answers about anything. I've received in the last 24 hours since we've unfortunately heard of the tragedy a huge amount of questions about anxiety, fears for children. We're going to discuss some of them. But if any of you would like to call up about this topic, the lines are always open at 718-683-5858. That's 718-683-5858. As well as you can either send your questions and of course you can watch us live on the jrootradio.com and on Yeshiva World and the Lakewood Scoop. You can su submit your questions to the text, to the jrootradio.com's text number. It's 347-927-8398. That's 347-927-8398. However, if you've got any other question at all, you can definitely do it to the question. It's not only specifically about this. I just feel this is something that we need to address. But other than that, any questions that you have, the number to call in is 718-683-5858. That's 718-683-5858. And here we have Rabbi Kron. Uh, it's a to have you here. Thank you for coming. Thank and you so, so much. I'm, I'm really honored to be here, Mordechai. And uh, you and I planned this a few weeks ago. Nobody could possibly imagine that we would be speaking less than 24 hours after the terrible, terrible tragedy. Um, I just want to share with you a story that I just heard literally 10 minutes ago. And it is a short story, but it is so moving. It happened in Lakewood. It just shows what Klai Yisrael is all about. I have a son-in-law, Hananya Kramer. He has a sister that lives in Lakewood named Malka Josephs, Malkalea Josephs, a very, very talented person. And, of course, she and her family have been saying Tillam, everybody's been doffing. And her child, a little nine-year-old girl, Miriam, was in camp. And um, when Malkalea heard the news, she just did not want her little daughter, Miriam, to hear it from anybody else. You never know, Neba, how somebody could say news like this. It could be shocking, as Rabbi Weinberger mentioned. You know, there's probably great fear and hesitation and, and fright about this whole thing. So she went to the camp, and she took her little daughter aside, and she said, we just got news from Eretz Yisrael that Neba, the three boys, were found and they're not alive. And the first thing the little girl asked, Mommy, are you going to the Leviah? Could you imagine? In other words, it wasn't something that happened thousands of miles away. It was as if it happened to somebody in the family, and it was reasonable for this girl to believe that her mother would actually go to the Leviah. And that's the closeness we have all felt. Just last Shabbos, Ten days ago, I was in Zurich, Friday night. I spoke there a few times for the community. And the shul that I davened in was called the Erika Shul, because it's on Erika Strasse. But really, it's the Agudas Achim Shul. 
Now, Friday night in that shul, there must have been, I don't know, 200 people, at least seemed like. Most of them with streimlach and beards and payas, kapotas. And right before Kabbalah Shabbos, the Gabbai got up and said, we are now going to say Tilim for the three boys in Eretz Yisrael. Now, I am sure that maybe five weeks ago, I don't know how many of those fellows in Streimlach and Beards would have acknowledged, you know, Gilad, Naftali, and Ayal, different type of boys, Kippas Rugot, living in the Shtachim. And yet, the Tilim was so powerful. I literally started crying when I was watching the Tilim and the way these people were saying Tilim. As Rav Chaim Kanievsky said yesterday when he heard about it, that one thing is for sure, that these three tzaddikim, these, what I consider Kedoshim, and I'll tell you why I'm calling them Kedoshim in a moment, these Kedoshim, what they did is they united Klal Yisrael. And you know, many times people ask when a person who's been ill passes away, did the Tfilis accomplish anything? After all, why did we daven? And especially now when we understand from the IDF that they were killed almost instantly within hours of their being kidnapped. So it turns out that for 17 days we've been davening for something that was literally impossible. They were already in the Eilam Ha'emes and we're davening that they should stay alive. But there was a purpose and the purpose was that it brought Klai Yisrael together in a way that is one, unimaginable and two, nobody can ever remember anything like this before. So these Kedoshim, now I just want to tell you something personal. You know, People ask, what can we do? What should we do? And I think that people should undertake certain hanhogas toivais, mitzvahs, hanhogas. It should be a schus for those three kedoshim. It struck me this morning when I was davening that when the chazan was repeating the Shemay Nesra and we were saying kedusha and we said kadoish, kadoish, kadoish. And I thought of those three kids, Naftali, Ayal, and Gilad. Kadoish, Kadoish, Kadoish. And I made a Kabbalah. I hope I'll be able to continue it. I've done it many times, but I don't do it all the time. But it does say in Shulchan Aruch that the proper thing really is that after you finish Kadusha, you should stay in your place until the Chazan or the Baltfila recites Hokela Kadoish. And that's a sign that you're not running away from the reference that you're making to the Rabbinu Shalalam who is a Kodesh, the ultimate Kodesh. But in that bracha of Atta Kodesh, we say, right? Every day the Kodeshim are going to praise you. Well, that's for sure. In Shemayim, these three Kodeshim, Gilad, Ayal, and Naftali, are praising HaKodesh Baruch because they understand now why it had to happen. We can't understand it. And I must tell you that last night I received an incredible email from my dear friend, Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz. Yankee Horowitz, as many of you know, is just the ultimate mechanach. He has devoted his life to helping all kinds of children in all kinds of situations. And last night, deep into the night, he sent out an email. And he said something in the name of Rabbi Moshe Feinstein that is so incredible and so beautiful. And I asked him right away, I, I emailed him back and I asked him if I could quote him. And he said, of course. He once went to be Menachem Oval, someone in Rav Moshe's family. And it was a very painful loss. And the people said to him, 
that Rav Moshe once said, why do we say when we hear of a death, Baruch Dayan Emes, right? After all, if we believe that everything that Hashem does is for the good, we should have said Hatoif Ametiv, right? Because after all, we know everything is for the good. But what Rav Moshe was saying with brilliant insight is that you can't say that when you first hear about a tragedy. You can't say Hatoif Ametiv. It would almost be cruel to say it, especially in front of those family members. But what you do say, and what Chazal have allowed us to say, is we don't understand it. We're in great pain. But Hashem surely understands what He's doing. So Baruch Dayanemes. Hashem, who's the Dayanemes, we bless Him. But we can't yet say Hatoiv HaMetiv. And surely in this incident, we won't be able to say it till Mashiach comes. Yeah. And I remember, i just share with you one more personal thing, and then Rabbi Warnberger can ask whatever he likes. Those of you who know me personally know that my father was shown passed away when I was 21. My father was a male, and he taught me Mila, and I had to leave the yeshiva at that time to support my mother and my six younger brothers and sisters. Now, in his final illness, my father was in the hospital in Washington Heights, and my brother Rav Kalman and I, we were by Rav Schwab for Shabbos, and Rav Schwab knew my father well because when my father was a young man, he learned in Ne Yisrael, and Rav Schwab was one of his rebbeim. Rav Schwab was a rebbe in Ne Yisrael before he became the rov of the Kehillah in Washington Heights. And my brother Rav Kalman and I went to the hospital to visit my father after Musaf. And then when we came back for the Suda, Rav Schwab said to me, how's your father? So I said, I have betochen that he'll be well. And Rav Schwab got very stern with me. I will never forget this. And he said, Betochen does not mean that your father's going to get well. Betochen means that Hashem has a master plan, and maybe, hopefully, one day you'll understand it. Now, obviously, he was much wiser than me, and he understood the intensity of the illness much more than I did or much more than I wanted to believe. And my father did pass away shortly afterwards. But Betochen does not mean that only good things happen. Terrible things happen. Look at this. Terrible, terrible tragedy. But that doesn't mean that a yid should be broken. We have betochen that hopefully one day we'll be able to understand the master plan. Surely Gilad, Naftali, and Ayal, they understand the master plan right now, but we are not there and we cannot understand it. And it's ludicrous for anybody to give reasons why this happened. We just can't understand it. The pain is so great <laughs> for the parents, the siblings, everybody in Eretz Yisrael, and everybody in Klal Yisrael. Who didn't daven? Who didn't cry for these Kedoshim? And yet, we remain here alone, alone without them. But we have a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And you know, and I'll tell you something. I remember after 9-11, the day of 9-11, I received a call from Mrs. Reifer, who was the principal at Sheva High School at the time. And she said, please come and speak to the girls tomorrow morning and give them a Torah perspective on what is going on. And I said, Rimmerton Reifer, I'm just as confused as everybody else. What can I possibly say? Well, I have to think about it. Give me two, three hours and I'll call you back. And two, three hours later, I called her and I said I would come and speak to the girls. But I must tell you, she spoke first because she, of course, was the Menahelis. She was the principal. And what she said in less than three minutes was so powerful 
that it has an effect on me till this day. And you know what she said? It was amazing. I remember more what she said than what I said. She said like this, that after Olenu, we have, after Al-Kenakava, we have um, a little paragraph. Many people don't even say it. But from now on, you should say it every day because I'll show you in a second. She said, Al-Tira mi pachat pisain. Do not be afraid of sudden terror. Al-Tira mi pachat pisain umishoyas rishoyim ki savoy. And the calamity of Rashayim happens. Utu Eitzavatsufa, we tell the Goyim, you make a plan, but it's going to be annulled. It's not going to happen. Because Hashem is with us. And those reassuring two sentences I made up from that moment, the day after 9 11, that I will never, ever miss, if I remember, I will never, ever miss saying Altira after Olenu. And I've been saying it for years, three times a day. Oh, it happens maybe sometimes I forget. But that's a great thing on a day like this, to make a Kabbalah. And that's what I think that we can do. Undertake a Zahiras, undertake a mitzvah. It doesn't even have to be a deraisa. Believe me, it doesn't say in the Torah that you should say Altira three times a day. But you know something? If you say Altira every day from now on, and underline it in your sitter. I'm a big believer in underlining in your sitter. And you say, ki because the Abishta is with us. It'll give you a sense of connection to Hashem. It'll give you a sense of betochen and strength, which we all need desperately right now. And if we do that, it'll be a schus for those kedoshim. And again, again, if you, by Atakadosh, stay back and do not take your feet away from each other. In other words, your feet are together when you say kedusha. And think about it. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Of course, it's referring to Hashem. But these Kadoshim, yeah, they say praise. Thank you. We're going to take a couple of callers, and then maybe we'll be discussing a little bit about how anxiety comes. We have on line one, we have Toby. Ah, hold on. Just... Hello? Yes. Yeah, hi. I somehow hear you far away. I'm sorry. How's the sound now? Um, it's better, and I'll try... Um, okay, I am um, just going to remind you that you gave me a couple of tools last week to um, nurture myself. Let's first start with a question before we go to the solutions. What was the question and that you had, and then why did we give you so tools? So the question was, how can someone um, nurture herself if she doesn't get it from her spouse? Okay. And you said uh, I should stay in front of the mirror and tell myself how much I love myself and um, tell to myself, I'm sorry, and tell to myself as many times in the day as possible. You've told me to write down 10 things about myself and read it to myself. And um, and I did all of this. Okay, just and you that, said I should call just, you back this, sure, this let's week with feedback. The, one of the main pointers that we wanted to bring out or clarify is if our happiness is dependent on another person, we can't be happy. One of the famous quotes or sayings that sort of goes in codependence is we can only be as happy as the saddest child that we have if we're parents. That means if we have five children, can I know four of them are happy, but one of them is sad, now we can't be happy because our love, our appreciation, our happiness is dependent on wherever, wherever we're tied to. 
So the goal of it was for you to start being an individual and to be able to self-care, right? Just to make sure we're on the same page. Um, you said I should call back this week and um, give you feedback how... Okay, just before we go to the feedback, I want to just make sure the kavana was in the right direction. We're understanding each other. The kavana is not to look at the mirror and say, I like myself. That's not the point, although that is part of it. The point is to start looking at the mirror and saying, the Rabbi Nishlam has created me on this world. I need to be able to manage. There are people now that, have, that aren't married or for whatever reason is going on, and that needs to be clarified. So that is the point of that exercise. Yeah, the point was to nurture myself and give myself the strength I need when I don't get it from somewhere else. Okay, great. Now let's hear the feedback. How did it work? So the first day was really easy and I was able to um, really get to a point where I was almost um, doing it physical, meaning wrapping my arms around myself and really um, feel that I have the strength and the courage to nurture myself even though I can't get it from anywhere, yes. and it went so amazing that I was even able to tell one of my children I'm having difficulties with, um, all of a sudden I was like, you know, I love you, and she was like, da, and I was like, she was like, why do you say that to me now, and I just told her, because I want you to know, I just felt that urge to let her know. Yes. So that was the first day. Then the Wait, next... Stop a second on that. Did you see your children behave differently on that day? Were your kids smiling more? Um, I didn't focus, to be honest. Good, good. Don't worry. We can still go back in time. I told all my clients when I go for a positive throughout the week, we can go back. Think a moment of your children or of that day. Did they smile more? Did they say, my, I love you? Um, it could be that they were calmer because I was calmer. Okay. Very good. So by doing the self-love and the self-nurturing, it calmed you. Okay. It calmed me, right. And the next two days, I had a hard time feeling it as much as I did it I still had a hard time to really feel it good let's stop a second when you looked at that mirror and when you said I love myself or I approve of myself or I'm great or I'm excellent what were the negative thoughts that were popping in it was not so much a negative thought it was more of a blockage I couldn't feel it inside me good what was the blockage saying um the blockage, so I'll continue, and I think you'll understand as I continue. Okay. Um, so uh, since I've been in therapy, I've learned to identify feelings and sort of have a, have a schmooze with them. Right. And I did have a schmooze with Mr. Love. And at the end of the conversation, I found out that I'm really afraid of him. So you're afraid of being loved? I'm afraid of Mr. Love. Okay, now what are you afraid of? Because love for me was very confusing. What is confusing? To, um, I, was, I had poisoned love in the past, mm -hmm. and it took me a long time to understand what poisoned love was. And I went through a, a process of therapy and helping myself. So um, the, at the end of the conversation, I was able to have love at my side, but I wasn't able to let love inside. Okay. And that was calming, though. Beautiful. If I may make now a little suggestion, which I usually don't do, and I'd like to hear from Rabbi Krohn also, if he's, you know, heard about how people, how when they take care of themselves, how people can change their entire family environment, that many times people are dependent or they're saying, only if this would happen, if the Rabbi will give me money, then I'll be successful. Or if that, instead of saying the Rabbi has given me everything right now in my tools, it might be hard. Um, I mean, 
No, the only thing that I would say, uh, again, I'm not a psychologist, but uh, one of the things that I feel is that many times we feel that the whole world is caving in around us. And uh, I told a woman recently who called, who felt just this way, that she should take an index card and she should write down all the good things that she has in life. Now, many of us are challenged. After all, that this is gullus. But somebody that has healthy children, somebody who has a job or somebody whose spouse has a job that they were able to bring in the finances to the home, somebody that has a house, somebody that has their own health. All these things are positive things. And if you write them down on an index card and keep it in your sitter, when you say maidim, before you read the words maidim, thank Hashem. And then when you feel good about your relationship with Hashem, how much he really is doing for you, then you're going to feel good about yourself. That's one way that I believe, again, working on yourself with that index card that it's always in your sitter. Yes. And everything that Rabbi Cronus said is exactly what I would recommend to really start writing it down. Now, when you're saying you did the self-love, you looked at the mirror and it got harder the other times, there are areas where I sometimes say that we leave for the therapist's room, where I tell the clients that is 45 minutes in the therapy room. The other times don't do self-therapy, just do the Chazara. Look at that index card where you wrote down the positives that the Rabbi Shalom has sent you and he sends each and every one of us. When we get used to it and comfortable, it has a direct effect on our mind. You see people that are unfortunately negative, you will see exactly what they are doing. They are doing the same system that we're doing for the positive, but for the negative. They are focusing on what's not right. They are focusing on what should have been, what could have been, and how things could have been better instead of focusing on what I have, how things could have been worse, and appreciate what you do. And we don't want to go there, but even of yourself. So what I would recommend to you is you've done great self-therapy, and that's almost like a workshop that you've done on yourself, which is very good. But I would really say use that for the therapy room. Just continue standing in front of that mirror for one week. Just do it. Continue telling your kids, I love you. Just do that. You will see a change. Words seep in. And the muscle that I've heard, which I find is fantastic, that the human brain is like a field. Whatever you plant in that field and you water it, that will grow. The field, the the shirish, the carol, the seed that you put in is the original word. You're good or you're bad. The continuous watering will have that tree grow. And now if you want an apple tree, but you're putting in the seeds for a cactus tree, you're going to get a prickly person. The more times you go, you're a failure, you won't make it. And you do it to ourselves. And as I told you last week, our brain, unfortunately, the negative works 24-7, even on legal holidays. It doesn't take a break. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Shabbos, it does that and it beats ourselves up. If we can have this index card there by Crohn said, and just look at that, on Shabbosim, Yom Tovim, all the time, just look at that. It's an automatic, direct guarantee that things will change in your perception. Not that we force the Rabbi Nishlam to change. I am very anti that. As Rabbi Krona said at the beginning, does not mean, as Rabbi Moshe said, we are not saying that Toiva Metiv. We do not have the, or Rav Shuav said, we cannot control the Rabbi Nishlam's outcome. But our mood is within our choice how to see that. Are we going to say, Dayan Horemes or Chas Vashom sometimes come with Tainus? It's all depending on how we do the view. So my recommendation is continue that. Continue telling the children. Write an index card of what compliments you'll give the child. Do it daily. Try it for one week. 
And now I would ask you to even write down the end of the day, each of your children, how they were responding and acting differently based on telling them three or four times a positive, loving, caring word. It's a must. And yes, your kid's response, why you saying that is unfortunately the automatic response. Whenever I tell someone, you know, you're, you're pretty good. They go, I'm good. It should not be a shock to our brain that we are good. If someone tells you, I love you, it shouldn't be, you love me, why? The instinct should be, I hear that all the time, thank you. Which one of the five reasons do you love me for? Now, it's not gaiva. Gaiva is when I am completely, I don't want to go into gaiva, I don't like getting into Yiddishkeit, so let's go into, it's not delusional. Delusional is when you're saying, I'm only great. If a person can give me five positives and five negatives, that's a healthy person about themselves. But if you can only give 30 negatives and not one positive, I am worthy of love? Then we know something isn't balanced, and that's where I would really recommend to continue by Crohn's suggestion about having the index card. Does that make sense, Toby? It makes a lot of sense. So you say that even if I don't believe in it, then it doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel that it's coming from inside me. I should sort of act it out, and eventually it will fall in place. She Let's put it this way. How many times a day do you think there are negative thoughts going through your mind? That was bad. That was terrible. And I'll share with you almost after every radio program that we have, I can go through a list of 15 things that could have been better. My brain does that. My brain also does what was successful. So let's understand the negative thoughts is a fact given to us in Matana from the Rabbi Nishleim that keeps us normal. Imagine I feel I can fly and just go to the 15th floor and try to fly. We need okay. to have the negative thoughts. It's just got to be balanced. Okay, so... I'm ready to try so do it for one week. Okay, we wish Shatzlacha, Toby. Merit Hashem, and please share with us feedback. Okay. We are going to go now to Leah on line two. Leah on line two, you're on the air with Mordechai Weimiger, LCSW, but especially we have the schuss of having Rabbi Pesach Kron here. I find it an honor and the schuss, the amount of shiurim that I've sat in the audience is listening to you, the amount Thanks. of times I've looked through some of your svarim, some of your books, and they've given me chizuk. And since I live in Lakewood, I hear on the radio they have your shiurim playing, and I've heard a wonderful stories of chizik. So you are helping so many thousands of Eden so many times I without would. even being aware of that. To me, it's My mother would believe here. every word you say. <laughs> I happen to have a program that we all need one person that believes in us. That's right. And that's from the Yaakov, you know, of Shomar Sadava. We all yeah. need that one person. So now I see the secret behind <laughs> Arav Kron and it's a Yiddish mother as usual. Okay, Leah, what do you have in your mind? Hi. Thanks for taking my question. I appreciate that. Um, I have a daughter that's 14, and she has a friend, which I'm a little concerned about. She's, I mean, I'm not concerned about her Yiddishkeit. It's just that I feel that she's, like, a little bit manipulating. But whenever I brought it up with my daughter, like, she, she, when she calls... And let's say she has a click or I tell her I want the phone. If she's talking to any other friend, she would always tell me. She always just hang up with her friend and give me the phone. When she's talking to her, she could just never get off the phone. She's busy like, but one more thing I have to tell you, one more thing. Or when she calls, she always, if I pick up the phone and I say she's not home, tell her she has to call me back emergency. Everything is an emergency. And I just don't feel that it's a healthy relationship. My question is if I need to come in as a mother and try to explain to my daughter that this is not healthy, just let her learn on her own. Because I did bring it up a few times, like I don't want you to feel that you have to do what she wants you to do, and you have to go shopping now because she wants, or you have to do certain things. 
And she's like, no, no, no. And every time she she doesn't let her hang up, and I said, like, why didn't she let you hang up? She's like, no, because this time is very important. She needed to know this for the final. At that time, she was always excusing her. What would you say, Rebecca Krohn? Um, I say that, uh, first of all, you should discuss this with your husband. What does he feel about this? Oh. Okay, so... You know, I've never done that yet. I, I am... Wow. <laughs> that is a you great know, idea. <laughs> I, the olive plays, and I forgot that. <laughs> And I don't even charge. Yes. <laughs> so actually, my husband, I wanted to ask that question last week, and I, I couldn't get through because I really wanted it before camp because yeah. I wanted to know before I send her off if I'm like. One so second, my husband let me like, ask you, Leia, excuse me for interrupting. Is this girl in camp with your daughter? Yes. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so, okay. um... So what happened was, I was like, really emergency, I have to know what to do here. Okay. And my husband is a chenach, and he really under understands these things, but he, he, he doesn't understand so much the girls and these kind of situations. It doesn't really happen with the boys so much. So he, he was like, I don't know, what are girls? Are and then he sat down with her, and he explained to her, I don't have any problem as long as this girl is from, and she's Ehrlich, I don't have a problem being, you being her friend. But I want you to do what you want to do and not what she's dictating you to do. If you're perfectly healthy and fine with doing whatever she wants you to do because you're enjoying that, then okay. I was also concerned because they went on a trip and the school made them pick partners who they're going to sit with on the bus and who they're going to be with by the trip. She has another very close friend, which is a very good girl, and she looks like a very healthy, emotional girl. And she picked this other girl, not the one that, you know, I feel is more emotionally healthy. I asked her, why didn't you pick her? So she's like, because she's not so much fun-loving. My daughter is very fun-loving, and that other girl is more serious. And this girl that manipulates her is also fun-loving. That's why she wanted to go with her, rather, as opposed to the other girl. And I was like a little, like, I thought that... This girl's going to ask her a million times, did you pick me? Did you pick me? If you didn't okay. pick me, why right, didn't they put let me, me together? Leia, Leia, let me uh, mention this. Um, I just made a video last week, and it's been shown in all the camps to the counselors. And um, it, I got a call today from a girl's camp in Benoceno yesterday. I got from Romamu. The idea was how to be a good counselor. Now, one of the things that I spoke about, the role of being a counselor, was that many counselors who are, you know, 17, 18, whatever years old, they don't realize that to the kids in the camp, they are literally larger than life. The, what a counselor will say to a child or how a counselor will behave is something that a child is going to remember long after camp and long after they remember what their Rebbe Zamoas did in school. Camp life is, is a different level. And therefore, what I would suggest to you is that you should call the counselor um, call at night, you know, when the counselor doesn't, you know, say that, uh, you know, Leia's on the phone. She's not going to know, you know, she's not going to make a mistake and say that this girl's mother is on the phone. I would call the head counselor and make sure that you speak to the counselor, not only on visiting day, by then it could be too late. But have the counselor look in on these kids and she will be able to see how much peer pressure is being put on your child. That's really what it is. It's peer pressure. This other girl is probably insecure and needs a right hand and a left hand and needs somebody that they can tell what to do. And that's what she's doing with your daughter. Now, as your husband said, if she's a good from girl, that's fine. I'm not 100% sure about that. 
No, he told her, as long as you're doing whatever you want to do and not what she's dictating you to do. She's doing what she wants to do. She wants to do what that girl wants to do. She's not independent. And Mm -hmm. I think that a counselor would be able to pick it up. So and let me I tell you what ended up happening. The end of the story and let's is try to after keep it that because we've got more people and uh, go ahead. So what yes. happened? No. So after that whole talk, that I, I brought up all the all the situation that came up that that bothered me, and we both discussed it with her, and she was like, "No, she understands. She's 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 not she's not always even calling her back right away, and she only does and when she calls her back. She really wants to, and she was always like, "No, no, she's not being manipulated." Then she wanted. Uh, she, my husband took her up to camp instead of going by bus, and she took another two friends. And she wanted this girl was telling her she wants to go, come along, and the car was like basically full. And she was like, "We could squeeze you in." And then my daughter called her back. There's no room. Well, yeah, I'm sure going no to room. apologize right now. The, we've just got more people calling in. I think this question. Leah, I'll just tell you a very simple: have the council look into it. She'll be able to judge better than you. Because she sees them 24 hours a day. Great. Uh-huh. Well, they're mixing classes like to, uh, and they're asking just, me for references. Should I, should I ask the school not to put it together? No. That, let's speak to the counselor first. See how it mm-hmm. works in the summer. I would like to just bring out two points that I'm hearing. Number one is that your, your daughter is saying she's not being pushed around. We need to realize she's 14 years old. Part of the step of being 14 years old means we go through the teenage issues, and hopefully through teenage issues we'll be able to be a healthy adult. Part of the steps we got to go through is being bullied. And I don't use bullied as in staying down there, as being manipulated by friends. We need to learn how to stand on our own. What we want to be able to is if you're going to fight your daughter's battles, she won't learn. What you want to be able to do is open up and create an awareness. To me, it's appearing that it's not that healthy that she's too pushy. You might like her outgoing personality, but there's still no excuse to remain to that when there might be other friends and give the information until you don't let go, you might not see some other solution. Another point out there, the emotions that you're in and the way you're involved and your husband's pretty comfortable and you're not, it's leading me to go through the little bit of concern that you are very protective over your kids and you get very concerned if there's one little problem going on and you're feeling not understood when you see things. And part of that is, Start learning to let go. Our job when our kids turn teenage years is to be there supervising, to tell them they, you know we're here and you're allowed to make mistakes, but at the same time be there to make sure it's okay. So if you see they cannot help themselves, then we need to swoop in and take over or try to guide them how they can do it on their own. We also need to recognize that if your child falls and is hurt and crying, be there while they're crying and how can we do it differently, but don't prevent the falling down. Because if we don't learn, if you don't get, someone just gave me the great muscle of a butterfly, that in order for the butterfly's wings to be strong enough to fly, it has to strengthen itself and fight the cocoon and bust out of that. If there's a butterfly in a cocoon and we open up the cocoon for them, the butterfly can't fly because the wings are haven't developed through its growing. Let's understand, your daughter needs to go through this process. As your husband said, we need to make sure from kite is not an issue. As Rabbi Crone said, these kids, unfortunately, many times when they're in that, they aren't that healthy as they would like to be. So you need to keep your eyes out there. And you want to reassure, if it gets tough, I'm there to help you. And, if, but, and therefore, you can allow her to open up if there are problems. Because imagine a parent always tell the kids, don't speak to this one. They're not good. They'll hurt you. They'll control you. And now the kid sees it. But they're afraid to tell the parents when the parents say, I told you so. Then the kid, unfortunately, suffers. 
We want to let the teenagers go through their teenage experience knowing that the parents' door is always open. No matter what, no matter how big the Avera was or how bad the thing you've done, we are here for you as parents and we will help you get out of it. But they need to take responsibility. Do Rabbi Kron, do you agree with that? 100%. Okay, 100%. thank you, Leah, for calling and for your question. And you can share with us the feedback. Yes, we are going to go to Dina. The number to call in is 718-683-5858. That's 718-683-5858. We have the great, you're listening to your host, Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW. That's licensed clinical social worker. And um, actually, we will put Dina on hold, if you can, because we've got a caller coming in from Eretz Yisrael. I'm not seeing it on my dashboard. Um, we see it on the Aaron, screen. I will see it on the screen. Can you get us to line two then? Um, which number is that? Oh, okay, I see it now. Okay, Leah from Eretz Yisrael on line five. The number, if you'd like to call in, by the way, for those of you listening, we have over here to get Mordechai Weinberger with our very special guest and the schus to have over here, Hira Pesach Kron, here to take your questions or comments that we've got. And uh, Leah from Eretz Yisrael, you're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. So I have a interesting question that keeps coming up, and it does have to do with the uh, murder of the three boys, I realized that I have a major fear of pain. Like, my fear isn't so much of, of situations, but it's the pain that comes up in those situations, and I was wondering how someone could learn not to be so afraid of dealing with pain in life, also from a terror perspective. What do you mean? Give me an example. What pain did you have with the three boys in the last 18 days? Um, like, I just... I think I tune into the pain more than most people. I feel very uncomfortable that this whole thing happened, and then they said that they might go to war with Hamas, and, and I felt like I started getting nervous and worried, and I realized the chances are that, that there wouldn't be um, a, a mass war or, or people dying. I realized that even my, my fear wouldn't even be of, of dying. It would be of the pain. But Leah, don't you and think... And I was wondering why I have such a strong response to it. Leah, don't you think that most people in Eretz Yisrael felt the way you did the last uh, two weeks? I don't think there's anybody in Eretz Yisrael who didn't feel what you feel. I don't think it's extraordinary. I think that you're a good Jew, you're a good Bas Yisrael, who felt the pain of three mothers who had children who didn't know where they were. What, what you felt is to be expected, and that's the proper feeling. I think you're very commendable, and um, I don't think that you should worry about yourself that you felt that pain, because that was really the pain as a mother. You're a mother, aren't you? Yeah, but I felt that I actually was feeling more pain for myself than for the for the three boys, which bothered me. What do you mean by me. pain for yourself? Like, I was, feel, I was tuning into my own pain of, of sadness, of grief. I really, I, obviously it was, it was provoked by this event and the feeling of sadness in the ear, but, um, okay, I guess Let me, let, hold what on, um, no, Leah, I would like to take another perspective as well, um, sort of with what Rabbi Krohn has said, and that's explaining, we, he've, he's gone already into the solution, and to clarify the question, we have on the Lakewood Scoop two questions that I'd like to address. And I would maybe for those of you that have a little patience to just hear me talk for about three, four minutes about how anxiety works, how the brain works. We've discussed that, but I feel it's important. I've actually put my thoughts down on paper so we can be clear. 
And the third question will be more for Rabbi Chrome, but I still would like to address it and then share with you some questions that I've gotten within the last 24 hours on my phone line. So the first questions over here from the Lakewood Scoop is, I'm a worried mother says, can Mordechai please talk about the anxiety that I'm going through because the three boys that were killed. I'm also fearful about this might happen to my son learning in Eretz Yisrael. Please help me, I can't sleep. Um, question number three is, how do I discuss what happened with my younger children? How do I explain to them that their Tehillim went and why Hashem seemed to have ignored their Tefillahs? Um, we'll deal with it in a minute. I just want to explain a drop about how anxiety. I've gotten a question where a parent asked me, what do I tell my children that are now fearful to go out in the street? I have another email where a parent said that their children are afraid to let their father go to work because something might happen, there might be an accident. So let me just give a little bit on a clinical understanding how the brain works with anxiety and why sometimes why talking doesn't work and as well to lay it to validate your feelings what happens. The Rebbein has created us on several levels in our brain. One of them is the conscious cognitive thinking, means we have svara. One plus one must be two. There's another part of the brain which is feelings. Feelings don't have to be one plus one, don't have to be two. They could be with the gematria, misbakot, misbakadal, but it's going to make sense. This power to emotions is that powerful that lets us go beyond the limits of the limit of logic. So people that are Matzliach and Taira, Rabbi Akiva at 40, got an emotional inspiration from seeing a drop of water break a rock or make a hole in a rock. And from that broke, I mean, imagine someone would tell a person, you're 40 years old, become a Balchuva, and you're going to be the greatest Godel of Klai Yisrael that from his five Talmidim, Taira is going to survive. We would say it's unlikely. But if the emotion gets turned on for the positive, that's how the emotion works. As well as emotion, unfortunately, works for the negative. means if I imagine, I won't be successful, we will be depressed today. People that get married and they suffer from anxiety, they're worried about the future. How will they marry off kids? If the emotion is worried, I won't make Parnassah then, you feel it now when people are depressed now. Part of understanding about the emotional brain is that it doesn't work with reality. It works with feelings. Many times logic, which is the number one type of therapy that we do today, is cognitive behavioral therapy, works. For many people it doesn't because we're not working on the emotional brain in its program, in his rules. Part of the rules of the emotional program is it doesn't work with reality. So let's understand when the emotion gets turned on, when we get a tidal wave of emotion, it gets overwhelming. We don't only feel what happened to those three tzaddikim that were killed. We don't only feel about, let's say, Eretz Yisrael might go to war and we're worried about that. You might feel past feelings. You might feel anger to people. It can sometimes bring up emotions that you're worried of 50 years from now that has nothing to do with this. Once the emotional switch gets flipped on, fears for children, fears for future, even if they're logical, we might feel it on a, on a debilitating level where we're almost paralyzed. Does that make sense to what you're saying, Leah? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That does. All of a sudden, my, my ability to function went down dramatically. Yes. And while it's normal to have fear, you're going to see most of Eretz Yisrael is still functioning. It's normal to feel <laughs> sorrow. Right, but I wasn't. That's right. And that's where we start going into the language or the world of anxiety or fears. Or in today in the psychology world, there's a diagnosis called PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And PTSD can actually only be diagnosed after a month means the, someone's in a car accident, you're meant to be sad. Someone is nifter, you're meant to be sad. And that's what Rabbi Krohn said, it is appropriate. 
When it's not appropriate is when the rest of cholesterol is moving on and you can't, that's when more personal intervention is needed. So let's now go to this person, to this mother, where she's saying her child is learning in Eretz and she's worried. It's normal to be afraid, as Rabbi Krohn said. It is not normal if you can't now do what you need to do. If you can't go shopping, you're thinking every single second, your son didn't call you if he calls every two days. And it's again, it's normal to be afraid, but that you can't leave the house. You're walking around every phone call. Is this my son calling? That is already called on a more level of anxiety. Paranoia and anxiety. Which is that, is, um, is that a, what's called general anxiety disorder? Yes, but I don't like diagnosing. If you know anything about me, I find diagnosing only for the purpose of therapists to speak one to another if someone needs medication to do it that way. Because practically, I would probably be diagnosed with half the diagnosis out there. I would give myself a detachment disorder. I'm still very, very close to my family. I need to work on my clients. My work shouldn't <laughs> overwhelm me, so you have, I have right. that attachment. I will call myself codependent which I'm working on. I'll call right. myself depressed at times. Sometimes I'm trying to help a case and then I can't do it. Or I put so much kayak and then the Rabbi for whatever reason has done something that gets pulled over so I could get depressed, so therefore I'm, I'm depressed. There are times I would even review my notes in the evening because I'm thinking, can I do something different? Now diagnose me OCD. So when we learn how to diagnose, it's more, is this issue affecting you continuously? If it's a trauma that brought it up and it might take you a little bit of time to get back to yourself, that's not... I wouldn't start diagnosing. Each case, of course, has to be individualized, but I'm trying to break the stigma of fear of A therapy and B. Let's stop overdiagnosing. I get calls from people. Just one second, one second. Sure, I'm saying, I get calls from people saying, I'm OCD. And I listen, you're not OCD. You're a healthy person. So we're trying to create awareness in this program, and that's what we thank the jradio.com and all the affiliates for hosting it. It's just hitting cholesterol. We're reaching so many people, FNW, Lakewood Scoop, Yeshiva World. This information is getting out there so powerful. At the same time, while we're creating an awareness for mental health that's needed, we still need to recognize that we're starting to overdiagnose and everyone's coming in with a problem, and we, we don't want that either. Um, what would you say, Rabbi Krohn, to the third part of the question where the person says, how do they discuss with their children? What happened to all the tefillahs? Well, I think that one of the things that we uh, mentioned at the start of the program is that you should tell your children that the tefillahs always go to accomplish. First of all, we felt a closeness to Hashem. There's certainly more of a closeness to Hashem than there was two weeks ago. So the mere fact that these three children were never lost and, and we didn't know where they were, that brought us all closer to Hashem. That's a schus, as Rabbi Chaim said, for these boys. But it's a benefit for us as well. So in that way, the tefillah definitely helped because it made us aware. Now, um, now, there's another very interesting thing. There's a sefer that's called Mishnas Rabaran. Mishnas Rabaran are the shmuzin that Rabaran Cutler, the Rashiv of Lakewood, gave, and they were written down. And he asked a very interesting question. He says, why do we have to daven? Why do we have to daven? Hashem knows what we need. You need parnosa. You want to get married? You want to get a shidduch? You want to have a child? You want to have a house? Hashem knows what you need. So why do you have to daven? So he uses a very interesting expression. He says, it is machazek hakorosoi. It is machazik, your awareness, shahakol boy that everything happens from Hashem. So in other words, when you say Rufa'enu, what you're saying is, I know that it's not the doctor only, the doctor is only a shliach, and Hashem is the one who's going to bring me the healing. When you say Baruch Aleinu, Hashem knows you need panasa, but, he, but you're saying that you know it's only through Hashem that this is going to come. 
And so you have to tell children and tell yourself the mere fact that we daven and became closer to Hashem made us realize that everything happens from Hashem. And as we said, we don't always understand it. But I do think that if one of the questions that was raised before, that a child is afraid to go out alone because they don't know, then you're right. Let them walk out with friends. They shouldn't go alone for the next week or two. And then, of course, when they want to go to a game or something, they want to go play, and uh, then they'll run out automatically, not even thinking about the friend. You know, when they really want to get that ice cream and there's only one left, you'll be sure they'll go to the grocery store, to the Makola without <laughs> their friend. You know, that, that, that'll break the ice, so to speak. And as far as the, the husband telling, um, going alone, and uh, the and the children are nervous about it, again, that's that's legitimate. And the husband should reassure that he's going with friends, he's going in protected places, and there's police all over. And you could take the kid on a ride to to work and, and show him that that it's a safe thing. Listen, these children have a right to be nervous. Everybody has a right to be nervous. I mean, uh, I'm not going to tell you all kinds of crazy stories that can happen and that have happened because that will only just bring out the fear even worse. But I'll be right if everybody goes to work and everybody comes home and everybody's safe and sound, and that's how we have to act. Great. So I would just like to give a quick little awareness how to deal with that. Since Rav Krohn just gave the logical solution, we need to understand that a person's made up, I believe, of four levels, and the reason why you'll see in a minute why I say I believe. There's the emotional component that needs to be dealt with. The logical, the thinking part needs to be component. The physical component needs to be dealt with. And why I say I believe because I am a man of Aminim. And there's a Rachnius level. There's a spiritual level that when we go through a trauma or tragedy or difficulties, we need to take care of all four levels. So on the logical level, it's to realize that with time it will happen. The exposure, maybe the first week, let them go. The kids go out and they'll be afraid. But the, the more they go out, the easier it's going to be. Explain to them that maybe this wasn't a very bad area, but in the main areas, it's not that safe. Or if it is in a not safe area, but people have been hitchhiking all these years and nothing has happened. So there's a lot of logic that we can do. To explain to you about emotions, how it works when someone has a fear, just talk it out. One of the ways that the emotions need, talking, just verbalizing the pain. But don't shut them up when they go, oh, you know, I'm afraid. Of no, no, don't worry. Let them talk it out. You're going to see there are so many more fears connected with this fear. Oh, I'm worried this will happen. Who said in the future? Maybe Eretz Yisrael will go to war. Maybe this. Get it all out. Once you get it out, there is a... Uh, peacefulness. Another level for the emotion is to start asking, what would put you at ease? And sometimes it's seeing the Rabbani Shalom just saying, it'll be okay. The Rabbani Shalom has a special hashgacha over Eretz Yisrael, and he will take care of that, or a special hashgacha over Klal Yisrael. And if you're from, and you're all that, and even if not, just trying to do good thinking of the Rabbani Shalom. So that would be an emotional solution, logically, physically. I've heard from my wonderful friend, associate, Rabbi Kron over here as well, Chanoich Kron, and he's told me many times, from Rabbi Vigda Miller, that three things when someone asks him about anxiety, he said, number one is, he says, sleep, very important. Number two, take walks. And number three, keep your mouth closed. Don't talk, we'll help you with anxiety, which means physically, if we actually don't sleep, our mind does go crazy. Our mind does start getting affected. We're, we're in a physical body that the machine needs to work. And those are one of the steps we need to take care of. Are you afraid? Are you sleeping at night? First thing when someone comes with is how many hours do you sleep? They usually say only four or five hours, and which continues the unhealthiness to go. It's something that simple. Try to get sleep. You can't go to the doctor, try to take some vitamin stuff that will help you sleep. Sleeping, you'll see a big change. And on a Rachnius level, a huge believer to me, again, this is my belief, is about Rachnius. Take a safer that you feel close to or a certain sadik that you feel yeah, safe Yeah, like a Margaret book. 
Yes, or a maggot book. <laughs> happens to be that I've used that more than once. Um, I don't know if you know, there's a story, Rabbi Kron, that you have about my family. They've asked yeah. to be, um, yes, to be, to kept anonymous. You've spoken to my parents. You were once in Johannesburg, and they told you a story that this person would always take the rub from, I don't remember now the names, uh, my father, which isn't alive now, yeah. his 50 yard site's coming up in two weeks. But the story goes as follows. My father at the time was davening. They live in Bar Park. They davened in Skolia. And Skolia is a chesidus on 48th Street. Uh, unbelievable chesidus. Actually, the Rebbe is a wonderful person. But anyhow, this yid from, from Ashkenaz, his name is Larry Ref. That sure. is his name. Sure. So Larry Ref was coming the first the time. table. Yes. The story with the table, of course. That's right. So that's I, the story I, with my father. I know. That's amazing. So the story goes that it's Larry Ref was, is an Ashkenaz yid and was looking, right. was in Bar Park for the first time. And, and he was, and then he ended up sitting at his table. Yeah, he didn't have a ta- didn't have a yeah. place where to daven, so he even That's had a the Friday night story. suit. And he's a person that had his doors open to Chesed. And what happened was that um, so he was going, and it was Friday night. He was just walking Borough Park, feeling all alone. And he passed by, and he heard the tish. He heard the people singing, and he felt so warm. They said the next day he's going to walk into the shul and he'll daven there, even though it's far. And he sits down, and then a person comes over, which happened to have been my father, sees this yid walk in and says, do you have a place where to sit? He says, no, this is the first time I'm here, and sat him down at a place right next to my father, which for those that know my father was classical him to realize someone and to bring him in. And while they're talking, he asked, do you have a place where to eat? And he said, no. He says, you know, I was assuming, he says, in over there in Johannesburg, people, he was in charge of also helping, if there's a guest right away, people ask, do you have where to eat? And Borough Park, Brooklyn, we're a huge city here, the amount of people that come into our shuls that are, you know, just passing by, we can't offer everyone, do you know where to sit? So he came to the suit, and as we're talking, it came out that, I forgot, what was the Rav's name? Do you remember that? Um, not R- R- uh, Raf. Um, that was Larry Rev, that was his name. But the Rav, there was a person that he used to daven in school, used to sit in that seat for many, many years. And when he got older, his son was, I think, Rav or... Bumi Tanzer? Maybe it was, yeah, it was yeah, Rabbi Tanzer. Tanzer, yes. And you know, so I want Rav, you to know, yes. that story has one of the greatest titles I ever gave to a story. I called it The Old Man and the Seat. The Old Man and the Seat. Because Ernest Hemingway wrote a book, The Old Man and the Seat. Uh-huh. So I called it The Old Man and the Seat. And basically, this person took care of Rabbi Tenzer's father, father, Tenzer's right. father, for years. Took right. him to shul, right. got up early, made sure to put on right. his fill and helped right. him out. Exactly. And then, isn't it? And he looked at Bashar the one time. He is a person without family. He goes into the one shul mm-hmm. where this person and sat on his seat that day. So that right. story. So that was. Great I remember story. when you asked my parents if they could yeah. please put their name and not to remain anonymous, because yeah. then people believe the story more. And yes. I know my father is someone that always wanted to keep things private. Uh-huh. No one should know. So now we've told it to six million. So people. now we've told it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I would say okay. it's more schus for his neshama yeah, coming course. up the yard side, right. just to be right. aware right. the hashgacha pratis that the rabbi Shlem is running, the show. Um, okay, we are going to go to Dina. I know you held so long, and we are sorry for having you, Dina. You're on the air with Mordechai and a special guest, the Schos, Harav Pesach Kron, Thank you. over here with us. Don't worry, I have unlimited minutes, so it's okay. Thank okay, you. I'm yeah, glad you have, she has unlimited minutes. Oh, yeah, okay, good. <laughs> what you really need is unlimited patience. Yes. Well, with this incident that just happened at Israel, that's the least we can do is have patience and yes. uh, for one for another. Actually, that's my question, similar to the one from Israel, but like I did not sleep at all from... <laughs> Hearing, you know, hearing, I, I just, it's, it's so hard for me to, like, even, um, 
understand like a friend of mine is doing her tanning now and whatever and my my mind just can't comprehend this i i don't know if you you know how he can help but it's like i just it's you know i I had to ask how to you know do the davening this morning (laughs) if you don't sleep like what to skip what to say you know how do you how do you just uh, move on like nothing's happened when everything's happened well not everything but you know what i mean Well, you know, one of the things that you have to understand is that this is a normal reaction. You know, I believe that it was uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt who once said, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. And when you have this fear that you're out of control, that fear is frightening in itself. Now, I can just tell you that two or three hours after uh, the incident was known that Nebuchadnezzar the three boys had become a Kedoshim, um, I got a call. Somebody asked me, could you come and, and speak at Aquinas to explain everything that happened? Now, I said to the person, I cannot think. My mind is numb. I'm in such uh, pain, and I, I can't imagine that this has happened. Everybody was hoping that the boys were alive, and so therefore your mind goes numb for hours. It wasn't really till I got that email from Yaki Hurwitz that we started the show with that all of a sudden I was beginning to open up my mind and I could come across with some thoughts and maybe I will do that, Kinnis. I don't know yet. But the point is, it's a very normal thing that you can't sleep and and it's anxiety. And and I I don't think that you should worry about it because in three days or four days, I I mean, I hate to tell you, you're going to forget about it. And and life is going to go on as normal. So, you know, you're, you're having a natural reaction, which is normal, but, you know, just I guarantee you by the time Shivasa Batamas comes around, you know, you'll be into the next crisis. Um, so that is extremely true. And um, I would ask you, I, I also heard a different part of your question, that you find it hard to be with people that are tanning or, let's say, swimming, that they're not even affected at all? I don't know that I would say it's hard to be with them, but I, I have a hard time in this, like, like relieving to that. Yeah, that you can just, you know, I don't know, like even the first call about the mirror work, like I, I understand how important it is, but it's like I can't understand looking in the mirror when all this is going on, like it just when the Leviathan just now, like they were just putting the bodies in the ground when that call came on, and I'm like, I just don't understand looking in the mirror. It's like they're not understanding, like I, I would have to have more understanding of. So of I'm going to do something I do to my clients, so please forgive me for doing this. What is your question? <laughs> I hear a statement. If it's a statement, great. I'm saying we're here to call for your question or comments or statements. What is your question? I hear there's a question brewing, and I hear you repeating a statement that how can you move on when there was just a Leviah? What is your question? To which Rabbi Krohn said, absolutely clear. We're not meant to move on. We're meant to feel it right now. We're meant to be numb, and yet you're repeating still the question again. So from experience, I think you're asking something else, and I think I'm not hearing it. What is your question? Um, well, I was hoping that you would clarify. Well, some things are... That's what we're doing right now. So the question that we both heard was that you're, how can you go on, you're feeling the pain, and to which Rabbi Crohn's validated, you're not supposed to. But if you're okay. still asking, it means from experience there's something else hidden there. So let's help you clarify what your question is. What is your difficulty with accepting that now you're supposed to be numb? I will tell you, I feel numb. When Rabbi Krohn was almost crying, I felt I'm holding back my tears because I figured I just felt it's not appropriate for me to, gr- to be crying on air. 
But yes, my heart, they had they had a Shweki song before, just before we we're going on. Cry no more, your shlime. And my eyes are like, Rabbi Shlaim, how much more do we need to suffer, Klal Yisrael, till Mashiach is going to come? Chas v'shalom, like, what more? And of course, we know the Rabbi Shlaim has a purpose, but I'm holding back that pain. It's 6,000 years of pain that we're feeling. But what is your question? Okay, so I guess that part of it where, you, where you're saying, where you're kind of validating it's okay to feel this way. Yeah. So that's part of Part of it is... Um, wait, wait, let's start with I that part. Let's start with that. I have a difficulty accepting that there are times to take a break. There are times when, when we're I, not supposed to do things. Are you one of those people that push yourself no matter what in crisis intervention? You're the one there in times of emergencies. It's fantastic. Yeah. So let's clarify something that I discuss many times at Levias or when they, br- when they bring me in, unfortunately, for shivas sometimes for emergencies. And what I clarify is I explain there are some people that have a difficulty expressing and processing emotions. And sometimes the way they process it is through anger, or many of them start doing technicals. Who's going to arrange the Levaya? How many seats are there going to be? We're going to be calling Ms. Askin. Who's going to answer which phone? Instead of being this Abel and feeling the pain, which they might have a difficulty with, they let it out technically. And I tell them, let that family member go through that. That's their way of mourning. Don't force them or control them to do it your way. They might need now the space of either a therapist or a Rav, which can bring it out. So you're saying you have a difficulty just processing and not doing. Maybe your processing is don't be numb, start arranging Tillam groups. Maybe that's what you need for your style. Do you want to say something about that? Okay. Does that make sense? 100%. So you're the go-getters that at times we need. Go ahead and use your nature. The Rebbe has given you your nature. And just make sure not to deny your emotions too long. There is a time when you need to slow down. Yeah, but this is exactly it. I'm slowing down, and I'm wondering if something's wrong because I'm slowing no, down. No, there's not nothing able... wrong with you. There's nothing wrong. This is an eighth Sarla Yaakov. Everybody's in it together. Everybody's wondering how could it have happened? Why did it happen? What are we supposed to learn? Everybody's confused. This is uh, these are days of perplexion. Really, everybody's perplexed, and and, it, and it's perfectly normal. And there are very few people who could come up with answers. Um, one of the things that I spoke about, we had a large kinnis the other night on Sunday night, and I said, you know, that um, Rab Arya Finkel, Rab Arya Finkel, who was a Malach Kim Mamish, uh, if, if you ever could get to see him in Eretz Yisrael, just to see his face is, is, is something you'll never forget. And uh, for the first time in his life, he came to America. And he said something amazing. This was before everybody knew what happened with the boys. He said that every morning we daven, Hashiva Shavtenu Kvarishoyna, Hashem, please bring back the judges like it was in times gone by, and our Eitzah givers, those who give us advice and counsel, like it used to be. Now, he says, of course, today we don't have that. That's why we daven. We dive it because we're searching and we need somebody to guide us. And not everybody can guide. And not everybody has access to those people that can guide. We don't have a Yirmiya Novi who's going to tell us, listen, this is this what happened. And, and now we know because of the Mida Kenegan Mida. But being that we don't, and so we're all groping for straws. We're all trying to figure it out. So your anxiety is normal. I would feel that if you didn't have anxiety, you weren't being normal. Anybody who can go along and swim, I'll tell you the truth. I know I'm on video and tape, but last night, you know, a certain I have certain things that I usually eat for supper. I couldn't eat them. I didn't want to eat them. I felt it's not right. I felt I have to hold back. 
And and today also, I, I'm not eating the way I regularly eat. If I would have certain things, I, I, I haven't been eating it because I feel this asurly yakov. So everybody's holding back, you know. But unfortunately, these things are going to go back to normal in a few days anyway. So you have nothing to worry about. Rabbi Kroll, oh, okay. I've, go I've gotten a message from someone over here that tells me he begs to disagree with me, and I guess I would say I agree with you. It's just trying to be a little bit more Melitzi for the big cities, which yes. he's saying he feels every shul in the big cities should have someone that's designated to uh, just to welcome someone and ask them, do you have where to eat? Oh, for and sure. Not. Oh, positively. By us in shul, Friday night, uh, right before Olenu, the Gabai gets up, David Berglas, a tzaddik, and this is like a, a, all by road. If there's anybody here who has come for, for whatever reason to the neighborhood and doesn't have a place, please make sure and we'll get you a place. Every shul should have it. There's no question. So this is by someone, David Reich, and he said that he does it in his shul. So David, David uh, I don't know where if you're on the phone or you just... He's uh, listening. Okay, David, tell us what shul you are and uh, we'll make sure to send you a couple people. Yeah, well... <laughs> But on the other hand, I definitely agree with that, and it's needed, and it'll be fantastic. It, that'll be great. And that, every... I'll tell you something. That'll be a big tikkun. Yes. That'll be a big tikkun. You know something that just occurred to me? By the Egla Rufa. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shem Yeracham. I just thought of this on the air. By the Egla Rufa, one of the reasons that the tzaddikim have to say, Yodena Loshovcha, right, that we didn't spill the blood, is because they didn't accompany the people who left and never the person was killed and these three kids were alone they're teenagers who knows who knows if maybe we should have gone and and you know accompanied them but if you do this and in their schus you open up like a hachnosis orchim type of thing in a few shuls then rab david you know you have a tremendous schus and it'll be a schus for those kedoshim and as I find, grassroots starts with one person taking oh, the movement. I'm sure you have friends, good friends, that are in different shuls. Just ask this one person if there's a, a stranger's face in the shul, even though we're in the big cities where you can have five different, all it does is go over and just say, are you from town? Do you have where to eat? They 100%. might say, we'll 100%. be surprised how many people do come from out of town to Borough yeah, so, Park. Yeah, Flatbush, whatever place. Wherever. You know, there's a hospital nearby and somebody's coming for uh, Shabbos. They've got to walk to the, to the Chayla. And they just came to the nearest Orthodox shul. Of course, that's a wonderful thing to do. Thank you, Amir Tashem. We should be able to take care of that. Okay, we are going to go to... Hold on, hold on. I finished the second part. You asked me what the other part of my question was. So we did the keynote about the Achdos, um, that you're supposed to, you know, this whole thing with the three boys, that it was making everyone be united, etc. And they were saying that we should all forgive one each other and be with one each other. That's it. That's like, that was harder. And not everyone was able to do that to say, I forgive everyone. And, we, you know, so that was another part, you know, the un- inability to be able to do that in honor of these three boys. Rabbi Krohn? So what are you asking? How does one, how is one able to forgive, forget? Um, I'll tell you, you know, it's so interesting. I, um, I wish I could send you the CD. I'm going to pick it up in about an hour. Uh, of of the speech that I gave Sunday night, uh, what people should do, um, for the boys, and this was again before everybody knew what happened, but there was a woman who called me up and gave me a great idea, and I did not use this idea in the speech, it's a woman, Varda Berkowitz in the Passaic, who called me and said, you know, if you're speaking, maybe you should say this, so now the Abishta gave me the opportunity, and we're going to say it, and she said, what do we want? We want that these kidnappers should let them go 
maybe we have to let go of some of our grudges and our resentments. And in that schus, hopefully they will be let go. And I like that idea very much about letting go some of the grudges and some of the resentments. Now, if you have a huge resentment to somebody because they really harmed you, that's not easy to let go. But there are many, many petty things that you could let go of. Somebody, um, you know, said something to you or somebody cut you off on the highway or somebody said something about your child. That's not the end of the world. And you can let go of those resentments and those grudges or those expectations that you have of, of certain people that are a bit high. You're right. Some are very difficult to let go. There are some people who have been hurt, others in a very emotional way, and, and you can't be expecting them to let it go so easily. It doesn't happen that way. But the small pettinesses that we have in shuls or in communities, that you should be able to let go. And that you have to make... Think about it and, and, and at least two or three people just call them up and say, listen, you know, we've got to get together and, and you, you know, we should become friends again. And you know something? It might even be your sister. Along those lines, no, along those lines, I'd just like to mention, I actually have a one hour program which is titled Forgiveness on my phone line. But a large part that I found in therapy, and it's a very deep side, but most of the time those people have a hard time letting go of others, have a hard time forgiving themselves. You're going to see that they're very hard. They're the perfectionists. They're the ones that are everything has to be right. And we don't allow ourselves to make mistakes. We need to blame the other one. That's why we made a mistake. If we can start becoming human, I have made a mistake. Say I'm sorry first to myself. And again, it's, this is the final step. The first step is letting go of the small steps of others. Another point is identifying your component. When we're always angry at someone and we're not letting go, you will always have a little component where you're wrong or guilty at because we're just humans. We might have done something different and that's why that person reacted. Now we're not forgiving, we're not saying they were permitted for what they did. We're not saying your actions, okay, forgiveness does not mean he slapped me again on the face. Forgiveness might be where you need to protect yourself and learn how to do that, but forgiveness is to be able to say, I've walked four times into this conversation when I knew I shouldn't and it still happened. So if I would ask you, what do you need to forgive yourself for? Well, when using the word always, that's a big word. It's not an always. Oh, it's I'm just not looking certain. for the word always. I am using the word. What do you feel? What are some things that you're walking around angry at yourself? And that's holding on. It could be a few things, but you're holding on to that for many years. Maybe don't share it on. We've got thousands of people listening, but can you identify a feeling of pain or anger or that you were wrong, that you just can't let go of yourself? And you might have been wrong. The person might have been nifted, the person might have been Michael you years already, but you haven't forgiven yourself. Can you think of something? Where that I was... Um, no, because when I'm wrong, I don't have a problem apologizing. I no. didn't ask that about you apologizing. I was asking about you apologizing to yourself. It's a bit deeper. No, I don't, I don't have that. No, I can't think of anything. Then I'll tell you right there is a problem. <laughs> I can go through a list of issues where I need to forgive myself that I've put myself through. One of them is I was last night at the office till about 11, 11.30, which I make an effort to try to be out at a very decent time. And I need to... Oh, yeah, I thought you meant that I did something to someone else. No, even to yourself. No, but where you can't forgive yourself. I haven't yet asked myself, Mechila, for that. Have you done things that you you yourself are walking around with angry at yourself? where you're making mistakes over and over and you're just not letting go, saying, I should have done it, I deserve this pain. Do you find yourself sometimes bashing yourself? I deserve it. I know why Hashem is sending me this. We all of a sudden know Hashem's reasons. 
while really we're just not forgiving ourselves. We're not able to move on. Do you have any of that? Some of that. Yes. So what I say is usually I help recommend if we can start forgiving ourselves, you're going to see how much we allow others to forgive and to accept others. Yeah, yeah. but if you forgive yourself for decisions to sell that can't be changed, then <laughs> it's done. It's a fallen. It's not, you can't do anything about it. But that is how we beat ourselves up. And unfortunately, holding on to those feelings is what we do to others. So... There was a quote that I think I've said it once on air. The way we treat, the way others feel when they leave us tells us a lot about ourselves. It means if someone walks away from us and they feel good, you know inside your person that feels good. If people walk away from you feeling broken and sad, then you know what's really going on inside yourself. And just as a schus, just Rabbi Krohn, every time I finish hearing you speak or every time I have an interaction or listening to you, I always walk away with the feeling of, wow, the Rabbi Nishlam is amazing, Hashgacha Pratis, and this is such an amazing world, so I can imagine what's going on within you, Rabbi Krohn. And I can't forgive myself because that's not how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> I just make everybody else feel that way. <laughs> yeah. No, but the truth is you're right. It is very, very important to be able to walk around feeling good about yourself and not to, you know, most people, we are our own worst critics. And when somebody becomes a bad critic about themselves, they lose their self-esteem. And when you lose your self-esteem, you cannot function, you cannot progress, you cannot be original, you cannot be creative because you think, who am I? You know, so you've got to really... It's hard to say love yourself because, you know, the Pasuk does say, but, um, and, and most people really don't love themselves. Uh, you know, they, they're just self-bashing. But you've got to be able to uh, look away from some of the things that uh, make you feel bad about yourself and realize that you're not any worse or better than anybody else and that Hashem made us as human beings and we're all human and we make mistakes, but that doesn't mean that we can't accomplish. You've got to believe that you are a good person that you could accomplish. Now, I'll give you an example. Many, many people have great, great ideas. And sometimes when somebody else has that idea, you think, oh, my heavens, why in the world didn't I think of that? I could have thought of that. And the reason you didn't think about it is because you didn't think. I'm not talking about you personally, but you didn't think, well, if I come up with an idea, who's going to do anything like that? You know, nobody's going to do it because, you know, nobody's going to believe in me. But I've come up with some ideas that have changed many, many people. And, um, you know, I'm working now on a new idea. I'll, uh, can I just tell a, a new Please idea? Go right ahead. You, you can't believe what's going to happen now. And I have a great son-in-law, Hananya Kramer, who I mentioned before. And uh, he's uh, a master in uh, DVDs and CDs. And we've done many, many programs together. We did uh, Maya Brochus and the Human Body and Bika Choylem and, uh, da, you know, the Siam um, Ashas, the Decade of the Daf. Daf through the decades, rather. It's fabulous if you see that. It's amazing. But I will tell you this. He came up with an idea. Now, you're going to think, why didn't anybody come up with this idea? You know what we're doing? We're taking some of the stories that I've written over the years, and I just went to a studio. I recorded them, and we're going to have it ready for every school in the country by Elul. And it's stories about Chuva. It's stories about uh, Tefillah and Elul, Rosh Hashanah, and stories that I heard from Sean Chardon and others. I I, re- I recorded them, uh, he put them to music, and there's going to be animation, and every kid between the third and the eighth grade is going to be able to get it across America, and, and it's going to be his service. Now, that, that's not a genius idea, nobody thought about it, but he believed in it, and he went with it, and he said, come on, let's do it, and I said, here we go. Wow. And it, it's going to be great, Mitz Hashem. One thing about you, Rabbi Kron, is your Oymah Oh, I hope so, with- I hope so. You got to, you got to, 
you have to believe in you know believe an idea and not be afraid. I'll give you a small, another idea. That Baruch Hashem, I'm so hum, humbly grateful to Hashem that He put this in my head and that I was able to go with it. You know, I next week we're going to Poland and uh, July 8th. Anybody wants to come along with Ari Shar from Project Maso? It's a great a great thing. Um, but and over the years I went with ENS tours, um, Eli Slamwitz, and we went to Frankfurt. And I was by the cave of Rav Shamshul Hirsch. And I showed everybody, take a look, Rav Shamshul Hirsch married a woman that's four years older than him. And um, I said to the people that when they asked him, how could you marry a girl that's four years older? And he said, for who I, what I have to accomplish in life, I can't marry. Uh-huh. So he married a girl that was four years older than him. And obviously he became, you know, he was great what he accomplished for Claudia Israel, especially for German Yidden. Now, Today, when I mentioned that, and then I spoke about it at a Termosar convention, of a 700 women at a Shal Shudas, and then a few weeks later, a lady calls me up from Lakewood. She said, you know, Rabbi Cron, all the years I never went to a Termosar convention. This year I went, and I want you to know my son, who's 22, was read a Shidduch to a girl 24. I never would have let him go out with her. But I heard what you said, and I found out that this girl is a direct descendant of Rabbi Tamsha Fulish. So I made him go out with her, and they just got engaged. Wow. And not only that... Then I got letters from the Chassan side, from the Kala side. A year later, they had a boy. They called me as the Moel. You know what they named the baby? Shamshra Mufoel. And then two years later, they had another boy, and they couldn't name him Shamshra Mufoel, but that kid was born on a Shamshra Mufoel's yard site. I know you're not going to believe it. Now, the big Shadchanim in Lakewood, um, Rabbi Levy and Rabbi Lewinstein, they're all written girls that are older. How did this start? This started because one guy said, you know something? I believe in this idea, and there's no reason whatsoever that the boy should be older than the girl. It makes no sense. Where, where does that say in the Torah? No place. So you believe in an idea, you go with it, and you change. Thousands of people. So I'm sure if you think about an idea, you come up with it, believe in yourself, and you know something? Make it lezechan nishmas, these three tzaddikim, these three kedoshim, and David shall give you a certain hatzlacha, you'll be able to do it. Excellent. For those of you listening in now or tuning in, we'd like to thank, as always, Harav Nissen for taking care of this, for Aaron over here in the studio responding to everyone. The number to call with your question or comment, we have... Um, we have over here Rabbi Pesach Kron, a guest. It's your host, Mordechai Weimiger, a special guest to have the, the chshivas of having Rabbi Pesach Kron here to answer questions or comments as well. Um, Rifki, I know you held this long and you just hung up this minute, so I'm asking you to please call right back. You, Wait, mu- must, David. you must have been holding at least for a half hour, oh, so sh- call right back. We'll take in. We're going to take David on line one first, but Rifki, please call. We will take you right after. David, you're on the air with Mordechai and with our Pesach Krom. Hi, Chele. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I just want to make a comment. Uh, you you were saying about the Afta Lerecha Kemocha, but uh, to love itself. Balsam to brings out in different types of body. We don't know the following. We never mention what follow after. So he says like that. The Afta Lerecha Kemocha Anyashen. The Psyk, he put it after Lerecha. So if you love yourself, Kemocha, Kemocha, no, the after the reacha, Kemocha and Yashem. Do you understand the, the, the difference? Explain it. If you, if you love the reacha, so Hashem said, I'm with you. Kemocha and Yashem, I'm with you. Uh, I'm ah, going to do it like you. Very interesting. Beautiful. You know what I That's think the real pshat is in that pussy? Yeah. I'll tell you what I think the pshat is. I think it's impossible for somebody to love somebody else like they love themselves. I don't think the Torah demanded that. I don't think that's a pshat in the Pasek. I think the pshat in the Pasek is, Rab David, you love yourself, right? And we all have things that are wrong with ourselves, but we don't focus on that. We only focus on the positive. That's why we like ourselves, because we look at the good things that we do. 
So therefore, v'yahavta love your friend, kamoicha, just like you love yourself. You focus only on the good, right? So for your friend, also focus only on his good, not on his negative. That's what I really okay. think the shot yeah. is. And that's possible. Yeah, very nice. Thank okay. you for your show. Very nice. Thank, Thank you, Rabbi you, The number to call in with your question or comment is 718-683-5858-718-683-5858. We'd like to just take a bit of a comment. Uh, Also, the lines are available if someone would like to call in. We can take now a question or comment. The number is again 718-683-5858. That's 718-683-5858. And then we've got one of the questions over here, which is how do we deal with... How, what do you tell the children? And the concept of what to tell our children is, number one, that the Rabbani Shalom loves us at all times. What that means is that the Rabbani Shalom takes care of us and is watching us. At the same time, we, this is a great opportunity to teach the children about the word no. Love does not mean manipulation and control, that it must be what I want, must be the way it has to happen. Love means that we get a yes. Love means we get a no, and we still can connect we can still appreciate and we can still see the positives that are happening. Now we can start going to Tfilis. As Rabbi Kron said, we're always used. It was Achtas. We got closer to the Rabbi Shalom and that is the goal of Tfilis. Rabbi Morchai, can I tell you a great sure. story? And I know I see already that you speak Yiddish, so you'll appreciate yes. this because the punchline is in Yiddish and in English it comes out okay, but it's not the same. I remember somebody once told me in Eretz Yisrael that somebody went to the Pony Vizhirov and he said like this, Ich daven to the Eibishter. I'm davening to Hashem and he's not answering. So the Rav answered, Er Enfert nisht. He's answering no. No is also an answer. Now, for example, if you have a car and your son wants to borrow the car and uh, you say, no, I'm sorry, I can't lend you the car. And he says, Dad, you're not listening to me. Of course you're listening. I just said no because I don't think you're ready to drive the car. And I think that that's an important thing. No is also an answer. No is also an answer. It's not a, It's a, not an act of, of of malice or an act of hatred, chas it, it, it's, it's an act of consideration of what's best for the child. And here I'm going to share, normally I don't share, let's say, my little concepts in hashgacha things, but since we have Rabbi Krohn here, I'll be able to get his okay, then it's okay. I try to keep it to psychology. Um, two points. Number one is we see in the Torah when Avram Avinu, when he was chasing the kings, he was mispal in different areas for when Klaistral in the future is going to need it. And I've heard several times on different Rabbanim that every tefillah the Rabbanim Shalom takes is not a tefillah shove, it is used somewhere. If not for Kali Yisrael now, then maybe in the future, maybe for us in the future, there's always a time when this tefillah is being put aside and it's it hasn't gone to the delete button. It is somewhere saved for when Kali Yisrael needs it or maybe something else was Chassel supposed to happen and this was a schus for that. First, Rabbi Kron, does that make sense? Do you agree? Or oh, for sure. Seen? That's what it says in Svarim, that there's no tefillahs that goes to waste. Yes. It's always. It's always there. And the second concept I would just like to have that I say over from, from Rav Palm, from my Rebbe al to be the last two and a half years in his house when he was teaching, and that is he has in the Sefer from the Pleasant Way from, my mind's just... Rabbi Smith? From Rabbi Smith. Yeah. And he has the, the beautiful concept that we've mentioned once or twice, that in Parshas Pinchas, when the Torah is going to the amount of people that were on that were counted, Shevet Don had second to the most. You originally first had... Shevet Yehuda, I was 70-something thousand, 76, I think, and Shevet Don had 68 or something, those numbers. And Rav Pam brings down the Chavetz Chaim that says that, look at that, that by the Shevatim, Don had only one boy, Binyamin had 10. And you see later on, Shevet Don had second to the most, and during a tragic time in history, Shevet Binyamin was down to 400. 
But Rav Pam took it a step further and says, imagine when everyone is sitting by the Zaydi Yaakov to learn Torah, and Don had one boy, and he was deaf. He was he was disabled. Yes, and imagine what Don must have felt, what will ever happen from him. And if we can realize, and Rav Pam says, that even from our children, every single one of them, there's potential for the future. If we could not look at the immediate, look to the future, and the same is now what you can explain to that child. The Rabbi Nishlam has a reason, the Rabbi Nishlam has a purpose, the Rabbi Nishlam loves us unconditionally. And to realize that the Rabbi Nishlam did something, for it to happen, because people were hitchhiking all the time before and after, and they were safe and they did everything that they could. When the Rabbi Nishlam does something like that, it's a wake-up call. But we want to reassure the kids that the kids are okay that they're safe. They want to hear that the parents are safe. They want to know that the Rabbi Shalom generally does not do this every day. There is something that we have to learn what, as Rav Kron said, we don't know what it is, but we know that there's a message and maybe just the achdus was that, but we want to reassure the children. But I think also another thing, I think that what we have to do and try to gain a zahiras in certain mitzvahs, uh, whether it's kashras or whether it's tefillin, or in anything, tzitzis, whatever, and and do it nishmas those three, and that's the best thing that we can do for them, and that's the best thing that we can do for us. Again, as Rabbi Yefinkel mentioned, we daven We don't have these people, so we're we're groping for straws. We're trying to figure out what is the reason. But whatever it is, anything that we do good nishmas, those three kedushim will certainly be helpful. Yes. Um, okay, we're going to take Sarah. Do we need to end at 2? 2.10. All right, so then um, we're, we'll I, take one more call. We've got three, four minutes left. We're going to finish on time. And oh, Merit Hashem. Uh, yeah, oh, just the programming-wise. Yes. Okay, uh, okay. Good, so we are going to go to Sarah. Sarah on okay. line one. Yes. Um, I guess that's me. And um, I don't want to be my fear from what we're all talking about and listening to, and thank you for all of that. But I do have a very pressing question on my mind please, that please, I'd like to ahead. address. Go ahead. So um, I have a 10-year-old daughter that asked me finally. She allowed me to sign her up for swimming lessons. And then she, in a very quiet, peaceful moment, she admitted to me that she has a horrible fear because five and a half years ago, my granddaughter drowned. She survived it, but she's um, very, very uh, totally invalidated. So we thought that life was just going on. We're a very happy, cheerful family, and life is going on in a beautiful way, Baruch Hashem. We love Shandel the way she is, and she's just part of our life. And we thought that everything was fine. Now I see that my daughter, for five and a half years, is carrying a horrible fear with her. So now let me ask you, did she say that she does not want to go swimming? No, she finally allowed me, asked me to sign her up for lessons. I, it is such an incredible thing. I'm so happy for you because that's a great, great sign of maturity. What I would do is go, as I told the other woman before, go to the swimming instructor and tell her that your child had this fear, but now she's overcoming it. It's like I remember when I was in a small car accident. Um, a car went through a light or whatever, a stop sign and hit me. And I was told the best thing that you can do is get into a car the next day 
and to start driving. Mm-hmm. But this this fear that she had, she's a little girl, and now she's coming forward with it. That's great. You should encourage her and and give her awards every time that she you know accomplishes something in, mm-hmm. in different levels of swimming. And sweet and speak to the swimming instructor. It's, you're very very fortunate that Baruch Hashem that she didn't carry this any end. further. Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I should. I was wondering. Should oh, I positively, ask? positively. Okay, okay. She has to come over that fear. Okay, thank you very, very, very much. Now, I would just add on one little component, and that is as follows. So exactly, that's what we call in the therapy world of exposure therapy, that when we keep on being exposed to that. But me as a therapist that sometimes deals with this is, I would ask your daughter, when you can do it one-on-one, sometime Mm -hmm. when there aren't phone calls going, maybe a walk, and ask her, what other thoughts do you have about it? Are there any little fears or concerns? Because once they open up the door, this is the opportunity to find out what else is there. Is she afraid that something will happen to others? Does she maybe blame herself? It's unfortunately sad how many people blame themselves. Five-year-olds, oh, I had a fight with her the day before. Or we said something, or I didn't daven well that day. And it's amazing, unfortunately, how kids interpret certain instances and they walk around with this guilt within themselves. So if she's opening up, the first thing I would do is, besides for continuing, the, of course, the swimming, but let's find mm-hmm. out what else is in there. So, so she did at the same time tell me that she's horribly frightened if she's ever going to be in the ocean area and she's going to have to save herself, and that's another reason why she wants me to sign her up. Okay, good. That is one thing. But let's continue because sometimes there might be other fears. As a therapist, I tell people just go. Feel free to say the fears, even though you know it's not real. Emotions doesn't work with logic, emotion works with fear. So the emotion might say, you know, maybe I always need a parent around me, and sometimes these children grow up to be adults, and they'll never do a business without partnership. They'll never want to leave the kids alone because of there might be certain beliefs that the brain makes a decision as a young kid and then accepts them as facts, and people live the rest of their lives with those emotional, not reality, or distortions, Mm -hmm. which now affects. So you want to find out, dig what else is there. If you want to just be comfortable, I might recommend those of you that know I don't like always pushing therapy, but maybe do a one-time session by, um, you know, um, uh, one-time point. Unless what we can do is, you know, Rabbi Kron, I just realized, we can stay, you can stay till 10 after 2, and I'll I continue say, yeah, the sure. extra half hour, the yeah, extra 20 minutes after. 10 after 2. Excellent. So I we'll apologize to the audience because I have another video that I have to make at a quarter to 3. I'm, I am so sorry. No, so we appreciate to, that you're able yeah. to stay this okay. long. Yeah, sure. It's a great deal. So does that make sense, Sarah? That I should stay on the line now? No, no. I'm saying we'll be able to answer. What makes sense is the point. I'm saying we're telling all our listeners to Aaron, so we will go the extra half hour. Um, so if you can have that conversation with your daughter and see if there are <laughs> any of the little lingering stuff right. in there. Yeah, sure, sure, it makes sense. So let's practice it on me. Imagine I'm your daughter, because since I feel we can do this right without needing to jump to therapist, I'm your daughter, how would you start the conversation? Let's call her, don't give me her real name, let's let's make up names. Call Hindi. me Hindi. So, so Hindi, I'm so happy that you finally told me what you feel about and that you wanted me to sign you up for swimming lessons, and I really did it, and I'm excited for both of us. Is there anything else about Shandle's accident that you want to talk about? Excellent. And now let me help you to add it on. The therapist's secret is we want to give examples knowing that they will knock it down. So go like, are you afraid to go in the streets? We'll go, oh, no. But then the brain will say, but I am afraid of something else. So one of the rules that I've learned in therapy is when we shoot somewhere, we will usually get denied. 
but mm -hmm. then you will get the real thing. So now add that on. So besides, is there anything else? The answer is no. If we give a detail, like, continue that. Oh, like I should open That's the... right. Do it on me. That's exactly <laughs> why we're doing a role rehearsal because I'm giving you some of the secrets of the trade of therapists. And unfortunately, sometimes I find therapists are so afraid to get the no from the client. So what are you talking about? And what I train, <laughs> I goes, no, no, no. We got to be strong enough to handle the heat. We got to ask those personal difficult questions. So go ahead. So try it on me because I would like to see if we can help your daughter, especially the um, tragedy that happened. And then we're going to take it to you a second. How did you process? But maybe not. Let's first go to your daughter. Um, so uh, you see, I have to help me because I'm not sure how. That's right. We're here. So let's try the other way around. So we'll call you, Mindy, and I'll be the mother now. Mindy, you know, I'm so happy and appreciative that you told me that you're afraid of going swimming to go swimming because of what happened to Shandel. That makes sense to be afraid. Are you afraid of anything else, like maybe swimming in the deep water? Are you afraid to go somewhere at night? Are you afraid that maybe something will happen to a family member? Now, you're Mindel. What's your response? Just um, make it up. Because I, because I know her. I can answer certain go, things. Go she ahead. has a very, very difficult time falling asleep at night. Go ahead. So say that. Practice. Don't, don't tell so, me. Be actor. So maybe my problems of going to sleep at night and being alone in my bedroom has to do with this? Okay, so let me ask you, how do you think it has to do? Do you think about Shandel at night? Do you think about what happened? When you're alone, are you afraid something might happen to you? Is that the connection? Uh, I, I can't answer because I don't know. Go ahead, take a guess. Just pretend you're her. Let's, let's continue the role play. Um... It's so hard for me to think her mind, but let's say, yes, I, yeah, I, I think a lot of Shandel. Let me hear what you would tell me here. Okay, so the first thing that I would do is, so I'm going to take out a pen and paper, and let's just write down everything, so this way I don't have to remember it. So what do you think about Shandel? Go ahead, tell me some of the thoughts, even if they don't make sense, but just tell me the thoughts. Um, like what's going to happen to her when she ends up getting bigger. Okay, like, and, and cl good, right. And clarify, what do you mean? Will she be able to get married, do you mean? Oh, she Will won't she ever be get... able to get married. No, no, no. no. You ever know be that as adults. We don't know, what kids, we don't know what kids are thinking. Let's ask them, like, what are you worried about? Let's go into their mind. Uh-huh. Okay, so will she ever be able to act like a normal person? Will she learn how to talk? Will she learn how to walk? Excellent. All these is what you want her to get it down, write it down. If you'd like, call up next week. Merit Hashem will help you out with a follow-up. But step one is to be able to get all this, and you might see a huge shift, and this can also help you clear out anything that might be in there that first mm -hmm. know what's in there. So if you can come next week and if you feel comfortable, share with me 30, 40 things, and we'll address it. If you get 10, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay? Okay. Very, Thank very, you for very being good. brave to call in. Thank you. Excellent. And we okay, are gonna, yes, great. And we are going to go to Gitti online too. Gitti, you're on the air with Mordechai and the wonderful schos of having Rav Pesach Kron here as well. Hello. And if you can also shut the background, there's like a couple second delay. The radio in the background or the internet, whatever you're watching it. Hello, Gitti. All right. You know what? We'll put you on hold and we'll get back to you. And we're going to go to Aaron. Aaron on line three. You're on the air with Mordechai. Hi, thank you very much for your programs. Um, I have the great honor of speaking to them, two people that changed the Jewish world for the better. You guys are great, and I'm a big fan of both of you. Thank you. You could call me every day, Aaron. <laughs> yes, I would say the same. To put me to put me on the same levels or by Chrome uh, has uh, just inflated my ego by huge leaps and bounds. 
So All right. Um, so basically, I wanted to ask you like two small things. Uh, I wanted to first ask you about Chrome. You just said you mentioned before that you put out a video for counselors. I'm a counselor for many years. I wanted to know if I can get one of those videos. Of course. If you just give me your address, I'll write it down. I'm going to have one, and I'll send you Blinada a DVD and a CD. What's your name? Do you know? Maybe, maybe we'll okay, just get it. Hold on. I don't mind saying my name because it's not no, no, right. No, 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 Aaron, right. Aaron, you're right. So the we'll uh, put fellow, you on hold, and Aaron will get yeah, your we'll number. Yeah, we'll get your name okay? and number. And of course, I'll send it to you. Thank you very much. Okay, now before, okay, now one more thing. Um, I want to ask, I guess, do um, also about counselors. I mean, um, I, I have an idea of making it for this summer. I want to know what you hold about it. I'm in a camp, which is like very, it's a, it's a new camp, and it's a little yeshivish, and it's one not, you know, not the best, or, you know, organized way. So a lot of times... Well, what does that like mean? I'm not getting it. Yeah. You're running a new camp, and it's not what? No, no, I work in a camp, which is, a little, which is like around for, around for a couple of years already. Yeah. But it's, it's still not, still not when... Not the most professional. Not, Exactly. So, like, in the past few years, things came up, and, you know, a lot of, like, negativity Does going on. Does water come out of the sink, though? Water comes out of the faucet 90% of the time? No, I don't mean that. I mean, like, just, like, the way they run the activities and the curfew. And okay. A lot of complaints going on. So, I want to know, what do you hold about this? I want to make uh, a thing in my, in my bunk this year that throughout the day, it could be whenever you want, at night, in bed, or whatever it is, I want every kid to write down five positive things that happened that day to him. And whoever does that, we have like a big pizza party or something. We have some content, sort of. I want basically every kid to write down throughout the day five positive things that happened to that day. I want to know, is that a good thing to do? or, uh, it's, or it's, my, What is do? your purpose in doing that? I'll give you my opinion in a second, but what's your purpose in doing that? My purpose is that to train people, to train the kids. And, and, and after a few and a half weeks doing that, it's automatically going to look, automatically see the positive Life. The life. Aaron, the Abisha should bench you. It's a fabulous idea. And I, I, I it really, Mordechai is applauding you. It's a fabulous oh. idea. Now, let me just tell you something. I have a brother, Rob Kalman, who's a mamish, a tremendous tzaddik, who's in Lakewood. You know what he sure, used yeah. to do? You know what he used to do with his kids when they were small, and they're all, one is better than the next. And I believe this has a lot to do with it. At the end of every day, he would ask them, tell me one thing that happened to you today, Hashgacha Pratis. And they did this for years. And he would give them pickles, you know, if they came up with something good, you know, that was a hashgacha protest pickle. But the point is, they all became your Rehemushleimim because of that. Rabaran, you're doing a fabulous thing. So, so my question is, is five too much or? Uh, I think five is a bit much. I, I was going to say that. I think maybe two or three is fine. Because don't forget, I don't know how old the kids are. What are they, 10 or 11? You no, know, they're it's, like 13, 14. Okay, uh, you know, they could be cynical. I would say two or three is fine. Okay, and now one more question before I go. The, um, the, the positive has the positive, which I want to do. I'm not sure, if, like, would it help if just, like, let's say the kids go, right, um, I'm alive, uh, I have parents. Like, that's a positive or it has to be something like that? No, 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 no. Something that happened good. Somebody said something to him or, uh, you know, he... He, he, he... scored a point. I'm sorry? He scored something in it. Like, he yeah, scored that's right, right, right. He was able to score a point, or he was able, to, he davened well, or he learned the Mishnah and he understood it. No, not just the fact that he's alive and he's got parents. No, no, no. Right, thank something you. Okay, thank you very much. Aaron, I got a name for the project. We'll call it Base Aaron. Oh. <laughs> Aaron. All right. Thank you very much. You guys are great. I'm a big fan of both of you. And, okay, Aaron, um, don't forget to leave so your I'm, name so and I'll number. I'll put you on hold now, and our wonderful 
Aaron is going to take your information, so just stay on hold. Thank you. The number to call in, first of all, by Cron, I think you need to it's, go now. No, no, I'll, I'll stay another okay. two minutes. I just want to say what I said sure, about the please. counselor. And uh, anybody who's listening or anybody who's got a child is a counselor. And if you don't have a child who's a counselor, make sure your child becomes a counselor. Because I said that a counselor learns three things. They learn responsibility, they learn parenting, and they learn leadership. Wow. And there's no amount of money that you can pay for those lessons. And that happens by itself. When you're a counselor, you've got to have responsibility. You're learning parenting skills and you're learning um, a leadership. And I'll tell you what I ended this counselor uh, video when I made it. Someone told me, again, I can't swear to it because I didn't hear it from the family itself. But somebody told me that Rabbi Yankov Kamenetsky once said to Yeshiva, they were looking for a Bayim. He said, if you're looking for a Rebbe, take a guy who was a counselor. Wow. Now, you know who was my counselor in camp? No. Shruli Belsky. Oh, wow. Now, I played handball with him, and I lost all the time. <laughs> I mean, he had such a stretch, he covered half the court, you know, but yeah. <laughs> I don't have to tell you. You know who else was my counselor? Hetsi Bash, who was the, uh, uh, the commandant's uh, principal for many years, and then Yeshiva Khan of Queens. These were great people. They, unfortunately, not everybody wants to be a counselor. You know, they have a different schedules. I hold it to concern. I really do, because I hold that if your son wants to be a counselor, he should be able, your daughter wants to be a counselor. They learn so much. They become great people from it. Look at people. You know who are counselors? Yael Kramer. Is there bigger mechanic than Yael Kramer? Yeah. He was the head counselor in Camp Agoda. And Simcha Kaufman. Is there bigger mechanic than Rob Simcha Kaufman? He's great. These guys were all counselors for years. And it teaches you. It teaches you. Achrayas. I mean, there's some great guys in Chinuch today. There's a principal, Rabbi Armo Kasus. I don't know if you know him. He's been a head counselor for years. These are my, my son-in-law, Shalom David Pfeiffer. He just became the Yeshiva Ktana, the assistant uh, Manal. Well, counselors for years. A, a guy who is a counselor becomes a Gavar Rabba. And same thing with the girls as well. I hold it's one of the greatest things in Klai Yisrael. And along those lines, I usually tell people for the Yeshivas now where we're not doing it to volunteer somewhere. To yeah. help out if we can't, if you're not going to take of the summer, the yeshiva is still learning or for whatever reason, you're not going to just take upon some step of achrayis, going to a hospital, arranging something, just any level of achrayis. Just yeah, try that. That's true. Responsibility is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Hanoch's yeah. got a brother who's got a responsibility. He's got a lot of responsibility to people who learn Benazmanim and Mixiumim and everything. Comes from good stock, that Kron kid. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you that would like to call and ask a question thank or you, comment. Thank you, thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Of course, thank you, Rabbi Thank you very much. I'll just take all my goodies. Yes. Great. Um, the number to call and to ask Oops, your question sorry. or comment, I'll pass it on thank over here, is 718. Thank you really for taking your time out of your busy schedule to come here. And may we Yes, and may we share it and Mertashem have success for and do it at happier simchas for Klai Yisrael. The number to call in with your question or comment is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. We will try to go again to Gitti. Gitti, we're on line two. We're here with you. Yes, hello. Yes. You hear me? Um, I have a question. I know people run you know, regular lives you know, daily, you know, we do their own things. And, you know, we have said it here and there. My question is why do we need to wait for something, you know, like something terrible or challenging to happen? For us to wake up and like work, start working on chesed and getting together and singing together, or you know, doing an achdus and have to be Why does it have to be that we have to wait for you know something tragedy to to wake us up? I agree. I'm going to quote a Gemara that I've heard many times and that I've seen that, and unfortunately, I'm pretty sure it's the Gemara Megillah where 
Avram Avinu is asking Klai Yisrael, how will my children be able to survive in Gullus with everything that is going on? And what the Rabbi Shalom said is one of the ways that will keep Klai Yisrael on the right path is unfortunately through pain. This world, for whatever reason, we need to wake up calls, is once we go through a tragedy, it wakes us up. And this is something that has happened. The benefit that all the Baal Musa Joshua are saying is, let's not wait for a trauma to wake us up. Let's not wait for a tragedy. Let's do Ba'achtas. It's now the summer times. Baruch Hashem, so far, there hasn't been any tra- any tragedies driving upstate to up and down. But why don't we have someone to organize a special tefillah or a class or get together that it should be a healthy, safe summer this year? It's possible. We don't have to wait for a trauma or tragedy to happen to do that. All we need is someone to lead it. Gitti, you can be that person. Just start. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead. Sometimes it's, you need a whole group. Like you know, one person alone is not enough strong to just, you know, you and have to how help do you people. think everything starts? Klausul started with an Avram Avinu. Was Moschazik with a Yitzchak, with a Yaakov, and then Chutam Meshulosh, Loibim Meheri Yenotik. You start with one person. Everything that has ever started is with one person. Right, but sometimes, you, you know, people that are popular and a lot of people could have easier time getting together, you know, feel like... So do you see how limiting you, how limited you are looking at yourself? <laughs> you are not valuing and seeing your power. I am empowering you and telling you, no, the one person has the power. The one person has the power, and yes, you can be that one to make it happen. What can you do in your small circle with your family, with your best friends? Start there. You'll see how things ricochet, things just happen. Things you bounce mean, all over. Well, you, mean, you, mean, you, mean, you mean like immediate surroundings? Just start with, start with immediate surroundings. Don't think of all Klai Yisrael. Start. What can you do in immediate surrounding to be mechazik, whatever it is that you'd like? Achtos, caring for Klai Yisrael, feeling for someone else. It could be just simply going to a hospital and just seeing people that aren't well. It could be visiting some older people. Little movements like that will bring Klai Yisrael together. Thank you. Very well. Thank you. Have we are going to go to line five to Anonymous. Line 5, you are on the air with Mordechai. Yes, thank you very much for taking my call. And Hashem should really bring Mashiach as chus of what you're doing with Rabbi Kron. And the Ilanishmas, the three boys I was thinking of before that, you know, and whenever there's a tragedy, people like to do something Ilanishmas. Yes. So I heard last second Jerut, I don't remember who quoted it. The Roshet Tevas of the three boys, Hashem, become the mom, are Amen. Ayal, Michael, and Naftali. So anything we're going to undertake, the Illinish ones, the boys, it should be called Project Amen. Beautiful, beautiful. It should be that we should think about them. I would also like to say I spoke to one of the Rabbanim that are, let's call it on the party that is against the state, you know, the whole concept of the state. And what they told me was they were mispalul right and left. All of Klal Yisrael was mispalul that these Bachram should come back healthy and together. This was a Klal Yisrael Ba'achtis on every single person, every single place in the world. The follow-ups, I knew I woke up in the morning and the first thing I checked was where they found healthy, where they returned. And to me, it's it's still a little bit of shock when I got up this morning and saying I'm not going to check for that. And unfortunately, to hear the sad news, how it went. All of Klal Yisrael was Ba'achtis in its Amen. Yes. Thank you. You're very welcome. Okay. Mitzvah, I'm going to give you a bracha. You should be zeichet to the 120 gazin to hide to give Klai Yisrael 
Amen. With, I'd like just two more adding on to that brother. With your wife and with, with the entire, with your family and with the entire client. Amen. You got number one. And number two is we shouldn't have to wait till 120 because I'm pretty young. The revolution should just send the Yulish Lema right now. Amen. And amen. We all agree with that. Thank you. Yes. Kaltov. Kaltov. Thank you for, for that strength. The number of someone. If the number of someone would like to call in with a question or comment is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. Here we've got two questions that have been texted in from the JROOT number, and that's 347-927-8398. Question number one that has just come in 12 seconds ago. If my child, age eight, overhears me talking about the three boys and asks what happened, should I avoid telling them the story? The next point... Um, there was another question over here, someone let me just find it. Uh, where is that? No, we're not talking about the eight-year-old daughter. We've got so many questions here. But there was another one of the kids don't know about it. I'm sorry, not if the kids don't. If the kids don't ask, should they discuss it? And the answer to that is the eight-year-old kids, everyone is talking about it. So everyone does know what's happening. So I would be the one to bring it up with them in this way. What? Oh, I thought I gave it. I gave it. Oh, sorry. My mistake. I'm sorry for those of you that are just a little technical stuff over here. Um, so the eight-year-old boys, oh, sorry, an eight-year-old that, my child eight-year-old hears me talking about the three boys. What will happen is we're all going to have everyone understanding and everyone knowing what's going on. So it's best if we, the parent, can discuss it, can deal with it. Because unfortunately, we see many times that kids find out things and they're given misinformation, then they're afraid. So if you can speak to them and reassure them, that's something that's pretty good. If there's also a way for us to recognize, to relax the kids. So if your kid mentions it to you, don't avoid it. They're probably going to hear camps. That's what they're talking about. They're, they're misspelled. I'm on the Lakewood bus traveling in every day. We're just saying to them on the bus while we're traveling all over the world. We had to feel us. Kids, chances are that they heard. Um, we're going to take to line one and to line five. People are calling up anonymous. Um, it's easier if you just give me a name because when I go anonymous, you won't know which anonymous. Make up your name. I don't have an issue if you make up your name. You don't have to be your real name. So, Aaron, if we can go to line one, because they called first, if we can ask line one to just come up any name, this way they'll know which anonymous that is. So, again, if you're calling in, just give your name, any name, and this way we'll have that. Okay, uh, Moshe. Okay, Moshe, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi, Mordechai, how are you? So, I just had a bit of a different uh, perspective I just wanted to bring up. Please uh, do. Maybe it's a little bit of a different uh, track of what you're, what you're talking about. I mean, you have very good points. Uh, my, you know, my, my theory is that maybe uh, we should be a little bit cautious because we shouldn't be too prejudiced. Because if I'm not mistaken, you know, the unfortunate, the unfortunate situation that happened in Israel with the, with the three boys, they were very trusting. They, they, you know, they were prejudiced that everybody looks a certain way, tends to be a positive person by nature. And there was a story a few years back. Uh, you know, I don't want to talk about the name, but we all know Hold the on. story. Let's just take it. a step back. I just need you to realize, Moshe, this was a projection. Means we made yeah. you just made an assumption that these boys trusted and they just went in. I yeah, don't always go with that presumption because I find these kids are professional hitchhikers. They live in those areas. I would assume that they trusted their instincts of recognizing who looks from who doesn't when they did it. So before we make an assumption that they're just trusting, you know, kumbaya type people that are just saying, yeah, we love the whole world, and that. Um, 
let's 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 just not judge what they went through. Maybe they were forced. Maybe there was a gun pointed at them, and that's how they got them in. Because we really don't know what happened. We don't know when they realized. All I'm saying is we're just making assumptions, and I've learned in my field to try not to do that. But again, yeah, we can right, continue, right. but we can still continue along your mahalach. I just wanted to defend them. We're good. So let's go to what you're saying. You're making an assumption that they went in the car trusting that because they had a yarmulke, we're making that assumption, or a kippah rugas, therefore they trusted that there is shamer Torah mitzvahs. Correct. Correct. And, and you know, like, we have to, every single person is individual. Of course, uh, as a college role, we're, we, we're definitely much higher and much, uh, uh, when it comes to, like, altruistic uh, uh, traits and tendencies, we're, you know, we're always trying to help each other out, which is beautiful, but it, it, we should have a bit of caution. You know, like, you know um, we should be a little bit suspicious. So, like, you know, say that, uh, you know, kids in camp or kids uh, in the Excellent. summer, you know, so let's I, go I don't think it's your... a bad thing to tell kids. Let's go Sorry, take go your awareness, Moshe. So let's go take it, and let's not put it to these boys. Let's go try differently. And then what you would like to say is for people to be in awareness that while it's great that we trust the from person, we also need to be aware, and we need to teach our kids cautions there in camp, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, between friends, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Um, when you're in shul, what's appropriate, what's not. What's between parents and children, what's appropriate, what's not. What you're saying is we need to also create a healthy skepticism that's needed the balance. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, correct. Excellent. And I appreciate the awareness that you're doing that because I agree with you 100% that there needs to be both the both sides. So when we are reassuring our children, we still need to reassure them that we still need to be cautious. We need to stop at stop signs. We need to look at red lights. We need to, when a stranger wants to tell us something, we need to not speak to those strangers. Right. Correct. But the, yeah, we have to have a healthy middle ground. Like, you know, not to be too extremely, you know, anxious, but we shouldn't be too, you know, too open, too easy going. We, we should have a, some level of suspicion, some level of cautiousness. That's, yes. that's what I'm saying. Yes. Middle ground. Excellent. So I would just make the recommendation, just as when I speak to many people, I see how words are misstorted. What I would say is when you're reassuring your kids today, reassure them that they're okay and they're safe. Tomorrow... Or two days from now, once you see that they're balanced and they're okay, that is when I would make the recommendation that you should actually be speaking to them and telling them about the caution. So today, give them the reassurance, and then tomorrow or in two days, work on the caution. But in general, caution is very important and needed. Thank you, uh, Moshe, for your uh, information. Thank you. Great. We uh, thank are, you. Yes, we are going to go to line five to the other anonymous. You're on the air. Shine. Say that again. Yes, hi. Am I on the air? Yes, you are. Hi, how are you? Um, Baruch Hashem, amazing and fantastic. This is so very nice. Um, it, has, it has nothing to do with the three boys. It's more of a parenting question, so I don't know if it's appropriate Hold on. to the show. Wait, if yes. you're asking a parenting question, let me start and just create the awareness that we're taking parenting questions for the ages of 8 and above, or 8 and 9 and above. We're not asked, We're not dealing with questions younger than that. Uh-huh. And the simple reason uh-huh. is because most of the time you get the response saying it's very normal, your kid is age-appropriate, and what's needed is the skills and tools on how to deal with that. And generally it's a parenting course which is needed because one skill builds on the second skill. So if you have a parenting course of 10 programs or 8 programs or 4 programs, right. one in order to get to program number 5, 6, or 7, you got to go through step 1, then step 2, then step 3. And it's almost impossible mm-hmm. to share that other than saying your kid is normal, it's an age-appropriate, now go ahead and develop the 
skills and the tools how to deal with it. Right. Make sense? Um, yeah, 100%. Yeah. But is there any way I could ask you my question and you'll tell me how my kids should react to it? Not so much me. I have a I, you, I will let you ask the question, you don't but want to hear wait, wait, let me explain, let me clarify. What I will tell you is, if it is just because you asked, or my response will be, it's something that needs a therapist or your kid is age appropriate and go ahead and get the skills now. I'll let you ask the question. But does not mean if I say it's age appropriate, it's supposed to remain that way. It means you're supposed to get the skills. Uh -huh. So if okay. you'd like, I can give you that benefit. Right. And by the way, for okay. those listening Thank in, you. you can still call in. The number is 718 683 5858. That's 718-683-5858. If you want to be anonymous, like almost everyone that has called in has never used their real name, just please don't go with anonymous. Please go in with a fake name. So this way you'll know who we're referring to. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so do you want to ask your question? Yes. Go ahead. Um, so I have a, a four-year-old. He's just four, like, um, this month. And he, he, he hits a lot for no reason. He just, he just hits, not out of aggression. He just Goes over to someone and hit. I've been ignoring it and for, you know no positive reinforcement, no negative reinforcement. Um, so I was trying different things on my own with different people, but now my question is: How should the you know? I know you're not doing parenting so much, but my major question is: Even for today, how should I tell the kids to respond? Kids the answer is: It's age appropriate, and you take a parenting course, and they will not be able to answer you at the first course. You need eight sessions of that. Thank you. Uh -huh. And we are going to go to Shandy on line one. We've got three minutes to go. Shandy, let's go ahead and take your question. Yes. Yes. Uh, um, I wanted to ask you on the topic of, um, of the boys of what happened. Actually, my daughter did ask me yesterday what happened with the boys. Did they find them? And I stammered only because that's my I next I just want thing. you to be aware we've got about two minutes to go, so if you can condense your question so I can also get <clears> a response. Yes. So she is a child who has a lot of fears. And um, I wanted to ask you, number one, I told her that they were found, and I didn't elaborate on that, and I tried to walk out of the room and do something else because I didn't know what I should do. You know, I was nervous to answer that, uh, what happened to them. So, so let I me ask really you, your questions. question needs, there's so much more that I would respond to this. Just to go ahead, deal with your daughter's anxieties or fears. How old yes. is she? Which one of you or your husband has got fears or concerns? Um, the basic tools, what you're doing before that, how to reassure her. There is so much. This is about a 10-minute conversation, which would be impossible even to do justice in the next minute or two. So mm -hmm. I'd just like you to understand, if you would like, call up Mer Tashem next week, um, and we'll try to address it, okay? Okay. Great. Thank so it's possible. It's a great question, and this question is, what do you do when someone does have anxiety? How do you deal with that? Now, on my phone line, I've had several people ask, when I've given some of the reassurance, some of the tools yesterday on the program, on my phone line, that's 718-298-2011, and section 6 of the questions. So people say, if I suffer from anxiety, you didn't tell how to heal that. We're not doing therapy. It's awareness. It's giving you the tools. If there's exactly. anxiety, I can give you some of the tools to first identifying. Does she have anxiety? Does she have fears? Which one of the family members have it? How are we projecting it? If it's you, are you the one to answer that question or should it be your husband, which doesn't have that? And then how old is your kid? Is your kid 8 years old, 5 years old? Is your kid 15 years old? 
And they'll, all these depend on a lot what the solution will be. So if you can, Meretz Hashem, call up next week. Looking forward to taking your question and your comment. We would like to thank Rabbi Pesach Krom for taking his amazing time in coming out here and doing this program, being able to give us chizik at a time when Klai Yisrael is now during the Shiva time. All of Klai Yisrael is in that level. May the Rabbi Shleilam take the three special neshamas of Ayal Yefrach, Gilad, Shar, and Naftali Frankel, Tachas Kanfei Yashchino. May we be zoicha to have the Gula Shleim of Amher Bimenu right now, that we should all be sitting together and talking about how the Rabbi Shleilam has sent the Gula, and we're now together happy. May we all be misabel together. May the families have a have a nucham avelim from the rabbi nishloim. That there's no way to do that. And may we all only share simchas together. I'd always again like to finish thanking Harav Nissen for having this program on on jratradio.com, having Aaron on, having all those affiliates, Lakewood Scoop, Yeshiva World, FNW for hosting us all this time. Thank you, Amir Tashem. Looking forward to having you next week.